Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast looking at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm Darren. I'm Andrew. Charlene. And this week we're doing something a little bit interesting. We're kicking off our season of the summer of 1999 by actually going back to October 31st, 1998. Uh, we're going to be looking at a range of like... It has been argued that 1999 is one of the most important and iconic years in cinema. It is celebrating its 20th anniversary this year. So myself and Andrew thought it would be a good idea to go back and take a look through some of the highlights of 1999 on the IMDb 250. I was very insistent upon it. And Andrew was like, we cannot let this cinematic milestone pass. Darren, I don't think you appreciate the importance of 1999 as a year in cinema. To be honest, I think your position was anything that allows us to get through movies that have been on the list since its very beginning or close to it is a good thing. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> so long as like we're the, the fewer move the fewer movies we have to record to to, <laughs> to complete this project. Yeah, not that we're ever going to complete this project. <laughs> no, no. But it it, sh- it should feel like we're we're like we almost did. Yeah, we should feel like we've accomplished. Almost something. something. <laughs> like a fraction. Yeah, of a thing. Um, but yeah, no, so basically we what we decided we'd do is we'd set aside, a, you know, a, a period of weeks, say eight or nine weeks in, towards the end of the summer and try and run through the movies on the list. And we kind of cheat a little bit. We're going to include uh, Baby Geniuses from the bottom 100, for example. We're going to be kind of like, we're going to include an expansive view of what 1999 is. So we're going to cover movies that were technically released in the States in like late 1998, but released in Ireland and the UK in 1999. We're going to do the same with movies that released in the UK in 98, but released in the States in 99. So we're going to offer a very sort of broad, expansive view of what kind of cinema is in 1999. And what 1999 is. <laughs> what does 1999 mean to you? Um, but yeah, no, so just to give a bit of context, we're currently, we're in March 26, 1999 in Ireland. Britney Spears' Baby One More Time is at number one. It will stay there for six weeks. In cinemas, the big release of the week is Mel Gibson starring in Payback. But currently topping the box office is the Rugrats movie. Waking Ned, famously the non-Irish Irish movie, opened the previous weekend and was doing relatively good business at the Irish box office. The Irish Land Commission would be formally dissolved on March 31st. Gay Byrne was getting ready to step down from hosting The Late Late Show, a job that he'd held for 37 years. But it's also October 31st in 1998... In America. Monica's The First Night is at number so you said, one. You, you said March 26th oh. in 1999. Yes. You didn't include my 13th birthday. In your list of things that happened that day. Notable yeah. things that happened in Ireland in 1999. No, and, and on the 26th of March. Specifically. Specifically. <laughs> and Andrew Quinn... <laughs> In Sligo, <laughs> turned 13 years old. I thought Remember that's what you were building to. <laughs> but it's not just March 26, 1999. It's also October 31st, 1998. You? And, and you? Yes, but you cannot tell anyone, no one. Detective James Carter <laughs> loved his job until he got a partner. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? No. The fastest hands in the East. Do it again. Team up with the biggest mouth in the West. The new Chevy Blazer with the driver control system. A little security in an insecure world. At the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum in Washington, 
And in several other cities around the country today, hundreds of people got a much sharper look at John Glenn's launch. They were watching on high-definition television, HDTV. The Jeff Call today for the Remembering Diana video, your gift from Life magazine. Have your credit card ready. Ian McKellen, Brad Renfro. Now we see what you're made of. Apt pupil, rated R. People saying that if he was gay, then it should have happened because they shouldn't, quote-unquote, allow gays in Wyoming. Uh, in the States, Monica's The First Night is at number one. Crushed by Jennifer Page at number four. Don't Want to Miss a Thing by Aerosmith is at number five and dropping quickly. Simba's Prime. Number two and three. <laughs> we, we did this already no, with we, The Matrix. We will do this. We will do this with The Matrix. I did, did, no, no, I mean we're in The Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's been a glitch. Simba's Pride had gone direct to video on Monday the 27th of October 1998. Vampires opened that weekend at the US box office, taking in a total of 20 million, dethroning Pleasantville from the number one spot. In terms of the top 10 releases at the box office that weekend in American cinema, Practical Magic, Ants, Bride of Chucky, Rush Hour, What Dreams May Come, and Act Pupil. On Friends that week, Joey had just discovered that Chandler and Monica were having a secret tryst. On Frasier, Frasier Crane worried that his new girlfriend, played by Terry Hatcher, was just dating him for cheap psychiatric advice. The X-Files was gearing up for its sixth season, moving to Los Angeles. Law & Order was entering its ninth season and released a television movie called Exile on November 8th, which focused on Chris Knott's Detective Logan, who had left the force after punching a homophobic politician in the face. The Clinton impeachment is ongoing. In Tennessee, Republican Byron, middle name Low Tax, I'm not making that up, he changed his middle name legally to Low Tax, Looper was accused of shooting and killing his election rival, Democrat Tommy Burks, who'd been sitting in a pickup truck at the side of the road when he was shot in a drive-by shooting. Sorry, slow down. Slow down. You're sending people into a 99-induced trance. That's the point. Just to give us sort of a sense of the moment. It's actually late 1998. In Minnesota, Joe. Low tax, Democrat pickup truck. Yeah. Buzzword, buzzword, buzzword. October, November, and December, 17 school. In Minnesota, Jesse Ventura entered the uh, race for governor as a candidate. Mind the body, Ventura. Uh, as, go as a candidate for the Reform Party. Um, on October. And he won. He did, he did yeah. indeed. But that, the spoilers, we're not in the spoilers <laughs> on um, On October the 6th, Matthew Shepard, um, a young gay man, was beaten and left to die in Wyoming. He was tied to a fence post and found the following morning. His death would spark a campaign for federal hate crime legislation uh, that would ongo for the next couple of years. On October 14th, Eric Rudolph was charged with four bombings, including the 1996 Olympic bombing in Atlanta. Uh, Rudolph was anti-abortion, anti-gay. The Washington Post would associate Rudolph with the Christian identity movement, which asserted that North, uh, Northern European whites were direct descendants of the lost tribes of Israel, God's chosen people, and to white supremacy movements uh, in the States at the same time. So it was a very turbulent time going on. And in the midst of that, you have the release of American History X, uh, which is a very interesting film, I think. Um, and we asked Charlene on to talk about it um, as our resident expert in the films of Edward Norton. <laughs> <laughs> that, <a> pleasure. <laughs> probably the best introduction you could get on this particular episode, I think. If it brings me closer to Edward Norton. <laughs> um, but yeah, do you remember where you were in 1999? Do you remember, like, 
What you're so, Do you have any fond memories of the period? Do you remember the cinema? What movies were you watching? It was around the time where I was really getting into cinema. So that's great. So I guess I was, hold on a minute, 1983. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody said there would be maths. <laughs> um, I definitely was seeing films in the cinema that I was not 18 for. Um, like the likes of Fight Club, that was 99 yeah. and American History X, I'm pretty sure it was probably 18s. Um, but I, it was around the time that I started reading Empire and Total Film and like got to know like what's coming out this week and what star rating they got and you know who was going to be in the Oscars and that kind yeah. of period of my life. Um, I was also going through a Edward Norton phase. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, funnily enough, I saw American History X. One of my fondest memories of going to the cinema is this film. And that's for a good reason. Um, so I was at a wedding in Cork with my family and I was dying to see this film and it was never going to come to the Carlo cinema like ever. And I knew that. And my dad was like, I, I said, like just in passing that there's a, it's showing in the cinema in Ballancolic, which is a bit of a drive. And my dad was like, sure, I'll bring you. But sure, of course, then we all just got like bogged down in like having fun at the wedding. I mean, not the day of the wedding, by the way, yeah. like next day. Or and, um, and we just ended up having the crack and he was really, really sorry. And when we got home, he was like, do you know, I saw in the paper that they're showing it in Port Leash. So he drove me to like half an hour out to Port Leash. Oh, I went brilliant. in on my own. He waited in the oh, car. <laughs> Probably maybe had a pint. But anyway. <laughs> um, waited in the guy. car. I came out in a heap, in an absolute like state after watching that film. And he drove me home in relative silence because I wasn't able to talk because I was so upset. But it was a really nice thing that he did because he just knew I was really into films and that I was really excited to see this film. I just like, I know that sounds weird. I was not a weird uh, white person. <laughs> teenager. Finally. That's why you were crying at the end. <laughs> All those American History exposures were just because I love Edward <laughs> um, But yeah, so... Um, so this film, I have a nice memory of seeing this Aww, film. I also do remember being the only person in Port Leash Cinema watching this film. Really? Was it, was it empty? Was it? It was literally empty. Wow. Literally, yeah. Because I mean, this, this this is a film that... Aside from you, so... Yeah, it's like a Did you get a look when you went to the ticket counter? Because you're very like very eager Edward Norton fan. It was the ticket counter being like, you don't want to brace yourself. Yeah, may want to... Like this may not... I know that there are pictures of him in his like tidy whities but it may not be the kind of experience... There such tidy whities No, they weren't that tight. Those are... Not nearly enough. Those are quite nice whities They were. I've always thought like those... But would... That's American History X in a nutshell. Do you do you just wear them as pajamas or do you wear them under a pair of trousers? Because I'd, I'd imagine they're big, they're, 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 they are yeah. big. I don't yeah. know how you put trousers on over them, but I don't yeah. wear yeah. Und- men's underwear anyway. So yeah, like it's 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 I, a very limited um, kind of space of time where you'd be wearing it. So like you're not going to have underwear on in in bed, presumably. Um, and and you're not going to have these particular underwear on um, when you're wearing trousers. So it's it's just kind of when you're. And Andrew may have missed the point of the film. These are Andrew's notes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it made a very strong impression. Forced that again. But it's funny you should mention actually being the only person in the cinema to go and see Edward Norton in American History X because this was very famously something of a flop, uh, both here in Ireland but also in the states when it opened. It never broke the top 10. I, I went back through Box Office Mojo 
And I looked at like the top 10 films for like the next five or six weeks. And you could see it adding cinemas and you, adding cinemas. You had done that anyway. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All the time. I just navigate. That's when I get bored. I just go to box office mojo. And I'm like, what were we doing in November 1995? Um, but like. And sometimes box office mojo asks you. Yeah. It's, it's like, why are you here? <laughs> it's like, no, go it's home. like, it's Darren, like... I'm having difficulty remembering what the top five movies were in the fourth week of October 1987. And I'm like, I can only give you number five and number six. <laughs> yeah. Number one was. And number five yeah. and number six. That's all that I have here. But again, it never actually broke the top ten. Um, it constantly added cinemas that kind of built up over... You could see it building mass over time. I think its biggest weekend was like $1.4 million. And then it started losing cinemas again. And there are a number of reasons for that. First of all is that like when you click through 1999 in cinemas, you go week by week. And it's something that's kind of interesting because you, you miss it a bit in modern cinema where it's like we talk... I, I keep track of the top ten at the Irish box office. And there's always like at least four or five films that I've never seen... And there's occasionally a couple that I haven't even heard of. Okay. Um, but like was, when I go through... 19- Godzilla was the summer before, was it? Godzilla was the summer... was 1998, late. It would I have think, been around yeah. this time That as was well. huge. Yeah. It was a monster, is what it was. <laughs> um, sorry, apologies. Um, we're getting as much levity as we can into this podcast, I think. Um, but uh, American History X... But because like you go through the top 10 in 99, and they're all films that I've seen. They're, mo- most of those weeks I've seen like 9 or 10 of the top 10 films of the week, which is kind of fascinating. Wow. Um, But it's also interesting in large part because American History X was overshadowed by its very interesting, and it's not even production story, but the post-production story on it. Um, It's great because when I I asked... I heard bits and pieces. Yeah. When I asked Charlene to talk about it, she had one particular memory of the relationship between the director, uh, who's Tony Kay, who was a British director, famous for shooting advertisements. He'd done advertisements for British Rail and also for Guinness, who was brought over to work on this film. And his relationship... Which Guinness um, Not the one you're thinking of. That's Brian Glazer, the one with the surfboards inside. I can't remember which one... Um, a few ones. Well, uh, there, there was also the one where it's like, banana... I kind of love the idea that that's the guy who gave us American history. That's what the post-production fights were over on American history. It was like, I feel like the soundtrack needs more trumpet. Yeah. But yeah, Charlene has a very precise memory of director Tony Kaye's experiences working with Edward Norton, where he described his leading man as... A narcissistic dilettante. How fabulous is that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it really is. Um, and it's it's great because Kay... Apparently the shooting of the film went remarkably well. There were very few tensions on set during the actual shooting, which is interesting. What happened afterwards is they screened it for audiences. Now, what you expect when you read this story is audiences hated it. And the studio was like, oh my God, we're in a panic. Apparently they didn't at all. No, that's it exactly. The, the screening went fine. Yeah, that's it exactly. The, the screening went very well. And in fact, it went so well, the studio were like, let's double down on this. Let's let's commit. We've got like a high B score. We've got a lot of enthusiasm. Can we just push it a little bit and make it like a best picture contender? Mm-hmm. And uh, they were like, you know, we're going to, we want to look at, we got a lot of material here. We talked to Norton. Norton has some opinions on it. He thinks he can put together a cut of the film that will be even better. Well, how about we take a look at his cut of the film and your cut of the film, screen them both, see what audiences respond to. And again, this is this is understandably something that a lot of directors are very uncomfortable with. It's worth noting in particular that Kay was a volatile personality, to put it neatly. He introduced himself to the scene in 1983 
when he took out an advertisement in the London Evening Standard saying, Tony Kay is the most important thing to happen to British advertising in decades. Tony Kay had not directed a single advertisement Ugh. at that point in history. Um, he also very famously, in the midst of this huge scandal, took out advertisements in the paper asking if Leonardo DiCaprio had read the most important script of this century, which also just happened to be written by Tony Kay. Um, which managed, he managed to actually get the attention of Marlon Brando that way as well. Um, and we'll come back. There's a Brando story. Oh, that, in was, that, that. <laughs> that was that Leonardo DiCaprio, Marlon Brando ad for Cheerios. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we're going Remember with. Remember it well. Yeah. <laughs> the performances were fantastic. I really believe that they enjoyed those Cheerios. Marlon Brando um, certainly did. <laughs> <laughs> making such choices. Smuggle them onto the <laughs> island. Um, but um, the thing with... Only eat those Cheerios. <laughs> oh. Oats. <laughs> And, 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 Rice. And, and, Leo, and Leo was very upset that he never won the ADSI, the award for advertising, and that sort of fueled. That's, mm. I think, how we ended up with The Revenant. Was like <laughs> Leo was just still chasing that Cheerio yes. Advertisement Award that he felt Bring like on he was, the bear. Yeah, I, I, I just, die, I die. I just want my gold. Um, but the thing, the, the actual thing that happened with Kay, Kay was a first time director. He came in and he said, I need the freedom. And an actual quote here telling the studio, I know I'm a first-time director and have no experience, but if I'm going to do this, I need the artistic freedom of a Stanley Kubrick, um, which is always going to get you on guard with that sort of director. Wow. He did not take the suggestion that Edward Norton could prepare his own cut of the film especially well. Instead of dealing with it using his words or his agent or negotiating with the studio, he embarked on a publicity campaign. And this is... I kind there of was, there was a legal um, thing as well. He wanted himself removed from the uh, credits, right? Oh, this yeah, this is where it gets better, right? So, how Kay announced his problem with this was by taking out full page ads in Variety, The Hollywood Reporter, um, and engaging in like a war of publicity against the studio, quoting everybody from I think John Lennon to the Dalai Lama, um, arguing for his own artistic integrity. When he was invited into a meeting with the studio, he showed up, but he showed up with a Tibetan monk, a rabbi, and a oh, Catholic yes. priest, uh, sort of in... in and that they would do a curse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, um, he started filming uh, everything that he was doing. And in fact, we'll include some in the show notes. There are interviews with him around the time of release of the film where he's filming the person who's filming him for the interview as well. When the film was eventually released, he and a couple of friends actually tried to barricade local cinemas in New York to try and prevent them people from attending the screening of the film itself. There are moments when Norton had to be locked in the editing booth to keep Kay out. He very famously described, and again, there's a wonderful interview from The Guardian where Kay is, like this around 2000, where Kay is kind of humble. He's like, maybe didn't handle this as professionally as I, I should have or could have. You know, in hindsight, I'd probably be a bit more delicate. But he's like, uh, you know, when we t when he got to Ed Norton, the problem with dealing with Ed Norton was that he could talk circles around me. He could make very good arguments. I couldn't come <laughs> up with a way to respond to them. But when you look at his talent as a writer, it is less than nil. Which is, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, Kay, yeah. So, so, um, Kay, but this is the thing. Kay did actually sue. To get his name taken off the project. He originally wanted Alan Smithy put on. And then he wanted Humpty Dumpty uh, put on as well. The studio said, 
uh, no. And in fact, actually, there's interviews with people like the director of New Line Studios, who's described it as like trying to protect a child from an abusive parent. Oh. Um, is how, what the, how he described the development process working on the film. The Directors Guild of America, whose job it is to like protect the interests of directors, whose job it is to go to bat for them and make sure that they are fairly treated, described the lawsuit that Kay launched as frivolous and entirely without merit. Um, it was thrown out in 2001 with prejudice by the judge, implying that there was no, no appeal happening at all. No further remedy being ongoing. And the interesting thing about Kay is that Kay occasionally comes out in public and says, look, maybe a bit too serious, very worked up, very stressful, took things a little bit too far. And on his next project, takes things a little bit too far. After... This incident, um, he took out those advertisements. He was he did, DP on this as well. He was his own director of photography yeah. as well. Um, he took out advertisements. Uh, and we mentioned, he loves taking out advertisements. Does he get a discount? That's it exactly, yeah. He just kind of, yeah. Yeah. Um, who needs talent when you could just take out advertisements? <laughs> but he took out advertisements. This gives us a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have money? We? <laughs> when we have money, finally that's the need talent. to spend money and make money. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, let's go to the bank. I think we can put this in the bank. But he took out those advertisements for DiCaprio and for Brando, right? DiCaprio apparently never responded. Brando looked at Kay and said, this is my kind of man. And in fact, Brando began an association with Kay in like late 2000, where the two of them would collaborate and they were working on like a script together. They're going to make a movie together. And what happened is Kay would come along to Brando's workshops and he, because Brando did acting workshops in New York. Have you heard this story? No, I've seen the Peter, Peter Serafinovic's uh, uh, Brando uh, acting workshops. Um, do you remember the Peter Serafinovic's I, I show? Know. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I didn't see the Brando workshops though. Well, no, they're them great. The show notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they're but, on YouTube, I think. But it, yeah, again, like Brando, Brando's not a, not a delicate person. Brando's very forceful and he, you know, he, he's got a very strong personality. So, you know, he's not a blowover. He's not a pushover. And, it, you know, if he likes the rebelliousness of a figure, it takes a lot to turn him off. Kay managed to stay in Brando's acting class for about a year until in November 2001... He showed up in the acting class dressed as Osama bin Laden. I was going to... I thought that was how the sentence was going to end as well. I did not notice what you said. And oh then God. in November 2001, he came along to... And I was going to jokingly finish the sentence with... Was he dressed up as Osama bin Laden? He was dressed up he as... He was Os- dressed up as Osama bin Laden. Yes. And his quote when he was asked about this by the press was... George W. Bush has said... If we let the terrorists stop us doing what we want to do, then the terrorists will have won. Therefore, I am going to dress up as Osama bin Laden. Okay. Did, did, okay. Uh, George Bush, like, yeah, <laughs> that's exactly you interpreted what... that correctly. Yeah. <laughs> um, apparently, yeah, apparently it made Brando's students, who included Leonardo DiCaprio, Sean Penn and John Lovitz. Oh my God, they were all, and, and John Lovitz. <laughs> <laughs> What a cast! <laughs> oh, and Kay is somehow still the um, the last sort of uh, Kay is the one who makes people feel uncomfortable. Oh, that's it. Yeah. So I thought I'll dress like Osama bin Laden. That's me being myself. Is an exact quote from Kay as well. It's worth noting that Kay um, Kay went on. He has made other films. He followed up in two thousand six with Lake of Fire, which is a documentary about abortion. It actually earned considerable praise um, for tackling both sides of the issue and being unflinching. 
Then in 2011 with Detachment, uh, which starred Adrian Brody as a, as a teacher. Interestingly enough, for the uh, 10th anniversary of American History X, New Line Cinema, having not learned their lesson whatsoever, asked him to put together a documentary called Humpty Dumpty based on his video recordings of meetings and footage and stuff that would account for his version of what American History X should have been. He did not deliver the project. He did not deliver that project either. Weird. <laughs> I would like to see that. Um, there's, uh, interestingly enough, in 2007, he, uh, he made the movie called Blackwater Transit, which is a crime drama starring Lawrence Fishburne and Carl Urban, which was shot for $23 million in New Orleans. Found him in arguments over the final edit again. Producers described it as unreleasable. A bewildering bout of litigation followed among the film's producers and a New York hedge firm. At present, it isn't clear when or if a finished cut will emerge. A hedge fund firm or a hedge firm? (laughs) A hedge fund firm. Ah, okay. Sorry, apologies. Um, But like, there's may that will include the press release in the show notes for the legal battle over the film. It is something to behold. It includes like a legal honeypot. Uh, where, like, one side seduces the lawyer of the other side Ooh. in order to get, like, insider information about <laughs> like the litigation. <laughs> like a tango. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the, Tony Kay is a very interesting figure. But let's go back to Tony they, about it. They each get one rose <laughs> that they have to give to, like, a member of the opposition legal team. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's like, a line up. Can I catch a moment with you? <laughs> <laughs> and then, oh, and then yeah, like one member gets they, voted off each week and does an yeah, interview on the, the camera just kind of like follows like yeah as one of the prosecutors talks to one of the defense counsels it's all in the press release yeah <laughs> um, it is worth noting that at the moment and again this is as of 2016 Kay wants to make a movie called Second Born which will star a robot okay it is going to, oh it gets better this is going to be a sequel to the movie Firstborn, which I had not heard of either, okay. but which was apparently a historical US-Iran co-production starring Val Kilmer. Wow. <laughs> this, wow. Yeah. That's okay. incredible. What, what a... Yeah, what a wonderful career that He's worked with Val Kilmer and Marilyn Brando. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and somehow they both found him unworkable, <laughs> which says something. Um, but yeah, so that that's the story is that, again, Edward Norton kind of gone well. But Norton has his own history of doing this sort of thing. Norton, for his part, is not always the easiest um, person to the, work with. The Hulk wasn't there. Like, wasn't he, he? He had a lot of kind of involvement with that. Yeah. He doesn't like to just kind of show up and... Read his lines. Yeah. Although, if you've seen The Italian Job. <laughs> so that was a wince there. The, the, Italian, the Italian Job. Do you know the story behind The Italian Job? No. Do you want to know the story behind The Italian Job? Okay. So, when Ed Norton was a, a wee babby, and he did Primal Fear. Remember Primal oh, Fear? I remember Primal Fear so well. He was great. I love Primal Fear. Great. Uh, but anyway, he signed a contract with Paramount to make three movies. Um, one of which was Primal Fear. Sorry, he's a certain South movie. Can't remember what the second one was, but there was a third film on the books um, that never quite materialized. And what happened was Paramount said, look, your contract's about to expire. If you don't do this, you'll be, you know, there'll be a penalty and you'll have to pay us lots of money and we'll embroil you in lawsuits. So you have to do something. And Norton basically said, feck it, I'll do the remake of The Italian Job, starring Mark Wahlberg. And when you watch The Italian Job, you can just see Norton's disinterest kind of radiating through the screen. It's like, I am purely here because if I don't, 
I, it's going to be more painful for me, which is... Yeah. Do, do you ever listen to Van Morrison's Contractual Obligations album? <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned this before, I think. Yeah, yeah. He did, he, um, oh, it's, in, it's, it's incredible. We'll have to put it in the show notes, <laughs> but he, he's, he's just like... Um, I, I can't re- remember what it's uh, what it is exactly, but the 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 kind of tone of it is just like, uh, give us a slice of toast, give us a slice of toast with some marmalade on there. Wow. <laughs> ah, I mean the the actual thing is much better, but it's so kind of like barely put together like minimum standards and requirements there but i mean yeah you talk about the incredible hulk and the incredible hulk is notable because that's the point at which norton seemed to hit a wall in what he could get away with because norton famously is not the easiest person to work with as a director unless you're a strong director and unless he respects you if he doesn't respect you it's going to be a very painful experience for both of you very on the first day in in the edward norton movie you need to beat him up yeah you need to find the biggest guy on the set of an edward norton film and knock him down Um, and then edward norton will respect you i always Um, felt like edward norton in birdman is edward norton like i just it's not fair maybe but it was great it all kind of just really made sense to me i was like very good like that's who that is yeah and the way he speaks to people and the way he addresses people feels like he's sending himself up in a really delicious way yeah but like i it it felt like it gave me insight into who edward norton is (laughs) i mean he he famous he um like even it's not even like Ed Norton will occasionally involve himself in films that aren't even Ed Norton films. There was a while in the nineties when he was dating Selma Hayek, and Selma Hayek was doing Frida, and she was like, you know, whatever they were hanging out, and and she was like, hey, this script is terrible, and she like threw it across to him, and he sort of had to read it, and he was like, this script is terrible, um, and proceeded to you know basically rewrite the script from scratch of Frida. For Salma Hayek, um, causing no shortage of tension for everybody working on the film. You change all the biographical details. <laughs> yeah, take so, out this Diego Rivera. Yeah. I don't like him. He's a superfluous <laughs> character. Um, Have more like an Edward Norton type. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, apparently it was a huge sort of WGA sort of employment there. With the Incredible Hulk, he threw out the entire script. Apparently, aside from he two scenes, I, I imagine he could have came in and Frida to play Leon Trotsky, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> like he's probably a bit young but yeah. but would it, would it, was that a young Leon Trotsky probably not no uh, it wouldn't have worked anyway sorry <laughs> but uh, with the Incredible Hulk and again this is the thing where like and again maybe it's a sign of changing times but where Norton hits the wall because with with the Incredible Hulk he has a very strong idea of what he wants to do with the character very famously Norton wanted to open the Incredible Hulk the second movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe which had pitched itself as a joyous after celebration Iron Man. Yeah, after Iron Man, had pitched itself as like a joyous celebration of superheroes. It's going to be light. It's going to be fun. It's going to be quippy. It's going to be enjoyable. It's going to be a military industrial complex. (laughs) It's going to be a bit of fun. (laughs) Yeah, everybody's going to have a great time. Norton wanted to open the movie with Bruce Banner hitching into the middle of the Antarctic, wandering off into the middle of a snowfield while the credits roll, finding himself in the middle of a big Arctic tundra, dropping to his knees, opening his bag, taking out a gun putting the gun in his mouth as the credits roll and pulling the trigger only to turn into the Hulk and have a big scream, a rage scream heard through a blizzard. Marvel were like, not 
quite where we want to take the character Ed, but we do appreciate the note. And I think there's, there's, there's a huge argument over it as well. But that's what the, if he had uh, turned into the Hulk, but the Hulk with a big exit on the back of his head, like so, like uh, it, an impaired through. version. Yeah. yeah, halfway through, and he can't turn back or else he'll. It's pretty much the end of Fight Club. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> <laughs> it's very Ed Norton. Um, All your characters, Edward. Yeah. They have to end up brain damaged. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so actually, in terms of, because Ed Norton's an interesting figure, he's going to roughly bookend our summer of 99 season. We're starting with him here in American History X. We're not quite going to end with him, but our penultimate episode is going to be Fight Club. Uh, and Charlene is hopefully going to join us for that one as well. What is it about Ed Norton that you think makes him so great? What is it about Ed Norton that sort of like makes him such an interesting actor to watch? I think, um, so the first thing I ever saw him in was Prime of Fear. And I was just on telly or something and I didn't know what it was, but like it blew me away. I was just like, well, this is amazing. I probably watched Prime of Fear because I really liked Richard Gere. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, I just, I think he, he was so stunning in that. And he was like, I did that really annoying thing where I made all my friends watch the movie. And like, and particularly that scene, like, you know, that scene where he turns and it's amazing. And I would literally make yes, people watch yeah. that scene because I was a weird teenager. Um, I don't think I've remember. seen Primal Fear. Oh, it's really oh, let's make him watch a Primal Fear. But yeah, so that I, I, I just thought he was great. And I kind of just took a liking to him in general. And American History X and Fight Club came along. And I just love both of those films. And... Then he started doing kind of crap films sometimes. And I just kind of enjoyed watching his career because I think he's made some interesting choices and poor choices. I always think he's very good. Um, the other film actually that I really loved him in was uh, People vs. Larry Flint, which I yes, really watched yeah. recently and just went, he's so much better in this than I even remember. Like, he's really great. But, um, but he's had an interesting career and I always enjoy watching actors who consistently disappoint me but the next film's gonna be great. It like that's be, yeah. this is a, this is me and Adam Sandler. Like really, <laughs> this is me and Adam Sandler. Have you watched the Adam Sandler Netflix movies? Yes, I will watch anything with Adam Sandler in the hope that it will be good. And then wow. sometimes, every now and then, you get a Meyerowitz stories. <laughs> but it's worth it because I think it's great when he's great. So anyway, we're getting you know, into. <laughs> yeah, I'm very curious though if you're turning on like murder mystery, and going this will be like the Meyerowitz stories. No, I know, okay. I know, it's not going to be. But I'll still like I'll still watch it, and sometimes I'll turn them off if they're really bad. Mm. But um, but like. I find it interesting when there's actors who I, I know have it in them to be fucking brilliant, who sometimes choose, for whatever reason, to just not be arsed picking good projects. Mm-hmm. And it annoys me. And also keeps me intrigued. You know, intrigued to me and keep me keen. That's me. <laughs> That's me and Ed Norton. That's <laughs> your relationship with Ed Norton right there. Um, and Norton's, again, like when you read reviews from the time, and I, and I think maybe there's something in this. There's a discussion of Norton in terms of like 98, 99, as this almost De Niro-esque kind of figure in terms of where cinema was at that point, where he's doing these kind of weird out there roles that are kind of at the fringes, but are doing like genuinely interesting stuff. So like, for example, this flopped. There was a real Um, anticipation about him in that direction, wasn't there? About him being kind of um, possibly one of his generations kind of. Yeah. And there was him in that, uh, was 
he was in a movie with either Pacino or De Niro. Yes. Yes. And Brando. Oh, the focus. score. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the my score. earliest ever disappointments. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know any of the story behind the scenes on this? It's amazing. Apparently Brando refused. It was directed by Frank Oz. Brando spent the entire movie calling Frank Oz Miss Piggy. Um, Robert De Niro. <laughs> he was like, I'm not. Karate <laughs> Chuck. <laughs> Why are you calling me that? <laughs> and apparently it got to the stage where like De Niro had to be the Brando whisperer. So what happened is Frank, Frank Oz would figure out how he wanted to direct a scene. He'll go to Robert De Niro, who apparently in real life is just a doll. He's very quiet. He's very introverted. He's, De Niro. De Niro. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's yeah. very sort of like introspective, polite, very timid. Yeah. And like, <laughs> you can see it, can you? Uh, what happened is Frank Oz would figure out how he'd want to do a scene. He'd explain it to Robert De Niro. And De Niro would go over to Brando and say, this is how we should do the scene. And like, that's how they got Brando to give any sort of vague performance in the film. Amazing. Um, but he, didn't he also refuse to wear pants? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not forget that. <laughs> A very, very interesting production altogether. It's, kind of, it's because it's difficult to find pants because the, the, the bottom of uh, Brando is just like Jabba the Hutt's kind of oh. little... Kind of, but he does, um, like, they, they, he spends a lot of time in a jacuzzi and pool in that film, from what I recall as well, to disguise the fact that he refuses to wear pants. Just put him in water. Good man, Marlon. I, I kind of approve the, of... The pants industrial of, complex has been strangling us for too long. Yeah. We used to wear kilts for, like, so long and, and, and kind of, like... Uh, togas and little kind of tunics and that and um, you can wear whatever you want then yeah i mean this is an audio medium yeah <laughs> <laughs> the 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 um yeah the oppression of 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 trousers has got to end um but yeah so let's talk a little bit about america american history x so charlene you've talked about how you first saw it as a, as a teenager have you watched it since was like how when was the last time you saw it i definitely have watched it since um, but not for a long time. Probably not in 10, 15 years. All right. Yeah. Andrew, ha- had you seen this before? I think the first time I saw this... I On your it, 13th birthday. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I was... Um, I would have been uh, 14. So it's almost 10 years ago now. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it, it, was, uh, it was 15 years ago. It's like, I think it was 2004. And I believe it was... Um, it was um, across the road from where I am now. Oh, so do we watch it together? No, I was in your house and you had loads of movies. And I went watching um, a series of movies. And I think I cried at every single one. Aww. So I saw um, the Deer Hunter and uh, cried, obviously. And um, I watched this and cried. And then I watched uh, Boys in the Hood also cried. Well, but Boys in the Hood is is like a a movie that you do cry at. That's an interesting arc if you map those out. I think. Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't remember the first time I saw this. I suspect it was like a lot of ninety nine movies. And again, this is this is nostalgia here. But again, Mooney Family Movie Night. I suspect that my dad went to Extravision and brought this home, would, and we watched would, it as a family. Would, am I am I getting it right time wise? Would that have been around two thousand and no, it was probably two thousand. 4005, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it was a woman after secondary school anyway, because I would have been in college, so it would have been, yeah. I remember I had a surreal experience watching 2007 oh, in okay. uh, America on cable TV at around seven in did the they, evening. Did they change it? 
Did not they like- that. Oh. They changed it quite a bit. Yeah. So that um, he was like, oh, come on, that's bull spit. That's Zionist bull spit. That's a very revealing change, I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps. The thing <laughs> the, that this movie is most famous for have been removed from some versions, but not the version of the movie that I saw. In, at in, seven p.m. before the watershed, <laughs> so they had removed all the nudity. Oh. They were, they were, um, Andrew says disappointed. All the nudity <laughs> <laughs> and all the bad language. Yeah, yeah. but, but they none, kept, of the violence, none of the and violence, none of the racism. It says uh, a lot about um, <laughs> what you're filtering through your television, Seth. All right, then. So three questions before we oh, jump. So, sorry, I think I interrupted you when you were saying when you first. Well, sorry. I mean, I, it, it's not yeah. certain. Uh, I'm not entirely certain, but I suspect it was one of the, the Mooney Family Movie Night movies. Because again, we went to, we go to Extravision every week and we pick two movies out. And What to, age would you guys have been? Well, it, we, it, it, uh, at what point was, because I know I your grandparents well, used to show you movies that were like not yes. appropriate for your viewers. So I watched The Shining at the age of eight, um, yeah. which is great. Uh, but at, at, at what point, when you, uh, because you had younger siblings as yeah. well. So like at what point were y'all as a family allowed to, or were you excluding certain people? We were watching? excluding certain people. Kieran didn't get to watch American History X, but I don't think Kieran was particularly interested in movies in that way. Like um, he would occasionally sit in and Lorna will occasionally sit in as well. But generally speaking, Mooney Family Movie Night was largely myself and my parents. Um, right. Because, you know, Kieran was so cool. He was out doing kid stuff. And my <laughs> mom and dad were like, ah, oh, feck, Darren's lonely again. Was, <laughs> like, mom and dad, can we watch a movie, please? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, will this kid leave me alone? Can't you <laughs> That's just why my ha- parents gave me a TV in my room. Yeah. <laughs> so they, over they there. gave that too. Sorry. They did that too. Um, Mama, Papa, can we watch a movie? <laughs> Can't you just go drink tins with your friends? Yeah. <laughs> I think I saw Andrew in the playground there. Yeah. It's like, it was like one o'clock in the morning. Why don't you go over and bother him? Um, oh, that sounds very merry. <laughs> yeah, I say, I say, I say. Um, why am I British? <laughs> You're Foghorn Leghorn. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Good. <laughs> Sorry. But uh, yeah, so uh, we would have watched that then. And because again, I, I remember movies we watched in 99. We did watch Fight Club. We did watch, again, American Pie, which was one of the strangest and most surreal experiences to watch yeah. with my parents. I oh. saw I saw that, my, my mother's I saw that with my dad and yeah. my brother, I think. Yeah. One weekend, my mum was away. My my mum was there and her first observation after the infamous opening scene of American Pie was, uh, from now on, you wash your own socks. Oh. Um, <laughs> 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 Anyway, um, so now to ask the three questions about American History X, which is a very different film, not part of the American Pie franchise, just it's in nice. case, just in case listeners haven't seen it and are kind of getting that impression from the conversation that we're having here. Not very another different American from- History X. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, Charlene, do you think that American History X belongs on a list of the top 250 movies ever made? I think having rewatched it, I, maybe I don't. Okay, interesting. Yeah, well, I we'll get to that. But oh, okay. And I'm I'm on the fence about it. Like yeah. I've got a lot of there's a lot of really positive stuff in there, but like I'm just looking at it and thinking of things that aren't in there. Yes. And yeah, yeah. And Andrew, I really quite like this, and I I I'd be I'd I I wouldn't be mad about it being in the two fifty. As, as it is, sorry, what I mean by that is I'm okay with it being in the two fifty. Yeah. yeah. I feel I feel like it it has a place and that and that's it's perhaps 
in some in some ways kind of aged well in the sense that it's kind of re- re- yeah. relevant at least <laughs> <laughs> it's it's much more timely now one of the great discussions and they have it in in kind of interviews with people all the time the director of new line cinema when he talks about it when he's asked like how has the movie industry changed in, in recent years his response is i don't think i'd be able to make american history x today which is something to behold. Um, it, like, it it would be a good time, I think, to make a movie like this. It, it would, but I don't. I, it would be a storm. It would be a uh, if you could even get... just mainstream now. <laughs> so it's just like you know. And the studio is looking at the script. Going, Who are we supposed to sympathize with? I mean, can can you make him friendlier? Uh, give him a quippy sidekick, maybe. Um, but uh, yeah, and I mean, even Norton though, and and this is kind of one of the things. That... The, yeah, I think there would be a, I think there would be a problem creating a, like I suppose we're 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 not really revealing anything by by uh, too much by saying that the movie is about neo Nazis. Yes. Um, well, the poster is famously Edward Norton with his hand on his. I'm, I'm doing the gesture here. This just can't see it, but with his hand on his swastika tattoo. And it's, it's famous for being one of the most striking uh, images in movie marketing around the time in the late 90s because there was this wonderful ambiguity before anybody seen the film. When you see the film in context, that image yeah. is, is a bit clearer what it means. But, it, but it's a very, it, it is a good ambiguity to it yeah. because... It looks like the Pledge of Allegiance. Is he swearing to it? It catches both kind of uh, meanings. Yes, possibilities. Or is he trying to cover it up? And, and this sort of push and pull between the two. And the film itself, to a certain extent, I think is caught between those. Yeah, I don't think I don't think it could be made now because there would I imagine there would be a lot of pushback about humanizing. Yes, kind of a, we'll get to a that. neo-Nazi. Yeah, there's a lot of discussion uh, to be had around that. For sure. <laughs> but yeah, and and like to to give Norton credit, uh, what Norton's argued is that, and again, this is not the first time that we'll talk about this when we do this sort of summer '99 season. Norton's a bit more positive about the making of like movies like this. He thinks you can still make those movies. They'll just end up on places like Netflix or on Hulu or on streaming services. Because his argument with American History X was that he saw that as the descendant of like the 70s New Hollywood stuff. Stuff like uh, Easy Rider and things like that as well. And he saw that they were failing at the box office, but they were doing very well on home video and on, on particularly yeah. on DVD at the time. He talked to like he was talking to. You can't really call it a flop at all. Well, that's it exactly. Yeah. Even though it never made the top ten at the box Who office. Cares. Yeah, yeah, that's it exactly. And and how do you quantify? It? He talked like, to the, the head like of Blockbuster, it's, who it's, said it was one of their top thirty rentals ever, wow, like of all time. Yeah, um, like and and you think about it, like it it just kind of reflects like p- people kind of focus so much on on box offices, but like like you see with 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 music now, it doesn't it doesn't matter a, a great deal how much um and an album sells it's 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 about kind of like how many people are going out to kind of see them live and that sort of thing yeah and the cultural impact yeah. of it because well you have these people that you've never heard of and then they turn up in your city and then <laughs> all of a sudden everything is just shut down yeah yeah, yeah. i think that may just be because we're getting old and out of <laughs> Yeah, like like it's not going to be kind of like the Christmas number one has become like an irrelevancy. Yeah, that's it exactly. It's become a prank primarily. Like the yeah. Christmas number one is a joke number one. Yeah. Um, but I mean, uh, so then the, uh, for myself, from my own point of view, I'm going to plead agnosticism on this because this is a movie I've never been entirely sure how to read. Like, I think it's a very well made movie. I think it, I'm very glad that it exists. I think it's forceful. I think it's confrontational. I think that's good. And I think it has value. And I think it's saying important things. There are parts of it that make me uneasy and I understand that that's part of the point of it. And so, like, I'm not going to, like, dock it marks. Definitely. Or yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, it's not I mean, a flaw with the movie that makes me uncomfortable. It's designed to make me uncomfortable. Yeah. And it does. So it's doing that. I think that's the strength yeah. for um, me. 
Yeah, and I mean, so do I think it belongs on the 250? And this is the thing where I think that I've got to go back to Charlene's example of things that are missing. There's a lot of movies on, on the list that deal with racism, but from the perspective of white people. Um, and I wonder if, like, this is probably has a better case than a lot of them. I think this is a much better movie than The Help, for example. Like, if we're yeah, talking about that because sort of this is this is challenging and un- uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. And isn't kind of a a story about like white people helping and solving people. racism yeah. it's about um you know <laughs> well i mean uh, they do propose their own solutions <laughs> they're just very final um, yeah. sorry sorry yeah sorry um <laughs> goodness <laughs> oh dear <laughs> but no yeah you're you're right though it isn't and, and and i kind of i appreciate it for that but i think about like what's missing from the list in terms of films that generally look at the perspective from from the other angle and how like looking at these things from the perspective of, of filmmakers and voices that are, are not that. And it's kind of like, again, I think this has a much stronger argument to be there than even, I would argue, things like To Kill a Mockingbird, to pick an example. Like, I mean, To oh, Kill no. a Mockingbird is very much like a comforting, feel-good, you know, sort of like, well, we had racism in the past, but people are good and we'll get past it through learning and, and education and that's stuff like beautiful, that. Though. It, it is beautiful, it's beautiful, though. It is beautiful. It's okay for people <laughs> to engage with that, too. Yeah, that's fair. Keep your crubby hands off Gregory Peck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, all right. Um, having apparently thrown a grenade into the conversation. <laughs> Charlene, would this be on your own personal 250? And how would you rank it in the Ed Norton canon? If we're talking we about... We ask like, this every week. We do. It's, it's very confusing. It's yeah. very awkward when we when we land on stuff like Sanjuro, the uh, Kurosawa samurai film. <laughs> How does it fit in the Ed Norton canon? Well... <laughs> I... It, it probably is in my own top 250. Like, I really do... I do really like it. I think it's... I think it's really clever in lots of ways. I think there's a lot of hokey things in it that really irritate me, which is probably why I bump it out of the... That's but taste 250 is just <laughs> just belonging to me probably like i i do get a lot from it and um and in the edward norton uh scale of things it's right up there like i mean performance wise i just think he's phenomenal and yeah. and edward furlong like i think that's why this film really really works is those two performances um so yeah top top tier edward norton for sure prime edward norton prime but um, not not the not the primest of prime. We'll get to that later this oh! year. <laughs> Sorry, that was a very dramatic. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Show me like Edward. <laughs> this, 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 this episode, we're going to have to take our laughs where we can find them. Um, Andrew, um, what about yourself? Yeah, no, I I would, I would, but not I, the Norton Cannon question. We're not qualified. To no, that. no, we're not. Um, I, w- I would put it in the 250. I think it's... Um, on your 250. On, on Sorry, uh, yes, on, on my 250. I th- I think it's quite gutsy. I um I think there are some hokey stuff, but uh, like having watched the deleted scenes, there's more hokey stuff that was kind of taken yeah. out. Um, Did Edward Norton take... Like, what version are we watching? We're watching Ed Norton's version. And actually, famously, he added about 40 minutes to it, which is interesting. Um, and he added a lot... He had the slow-mo. I don't know. That's how Edward Norton got the yeah, the forty minutes. Just like, um, <laughs> Slow down. 
Let's just slow down 40 minutes of it. Just double the length of it. I, I'm, I, I feel... The basketball like... game was all Norton. Um, well, I... I, I, I... Think of the basketball. White <laughs> <laughs> can... Never mind. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. This is like the... the they, were, they were doing a sequel to uh, White Man Can't Jump and it's like... It just got me Yeah, yeah. Very fast. Just This isn't working. We need to... Take the emphasis away from jumping have and a, put have, it on the white man. Have a look at have a look at this. What can you do? Yeah. yeah. Norton's like, yeah. Oh, I have some ideas. I got this. Yeah. yeah. I got an extra forty minutes. It's going to change things considerably. The, there's your cut of the basketball game was a full sixty minutes. Norton actually turned it down. Um, but yeah, no. Like so, yeah. Apparently, what he added was a lot of the family stuff, a lot of the humanizing stuff, reportedly, oh, okay. actually, which is interesting. So stuff like shots of the family together in the present day and stuff like that mm. was a lot of the stuff that Norton added in terms of like humanizing the character and developing them. And a lot of the stuff around the possibility of redemption as well apparently came from Norton. Kay was a lot more cynical um, about yeah. it as well. And the soundtrack, I think, Kay is singled out as well as being very schmaltzy to a certain extent um, with its I, strings and percussions. I I am. Um... I am um, I I think I would defend the uh use of music in slow motion and I think it's intentionally I felt anyway it's there they if 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 we're talking about the the um the scene that I'm thinking of it's um it's meant to be this kind of um uncomfortably kind of Long, triumphant yeah. Oh, and yeah. um kind of um the end of the basketball one yes yeah 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 where it's this kind of like glorification and where the music is very kind of our heroes all the time yeah 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 Yeah, no we'll we'll talk about like the techniques and some the artistic choices later on because i think they're interesting and challenging i think they're part of what makes the movie so Mm -hmm. so fascinating but yeah, so you would include it on your own personal two fifty. I would, I would. I'd 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 definitely watch this again. Yeah. And yeah, there 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 are there are there are moments that that um that that aren't as good as others. But I I, I quite I, I quite like I quite like them in it. Yeah. To be honest. And like, I mean, I, I'll talk about kind of some some of the things where I was just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but it still really kind of um, enjoyed it. Like, you know. And I, I would uh, I would kind of agree with that. This is a film that has stayed with me. I am not entirely sure that I have watched it since 1999, actually. Which is why I was surprised when I was like, I watched it in your house. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> it's okay. I watched it while you weren't there. Um, but no. Um, so, but it's stayed... I hardly slept when I was in your house. <laughs> I was just <laughs> I watching just movies. all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I just had my eyes like pulled open. Like, like... like a clockwork orange. <laughs> yeah. um, but no, I, so I was actually surprised because I don't think I've watched it since 1999. But I remember so much of it. There are parts of it that are burned into my psyche. And not just the, the moments that you think of, although those moments are still... And it's odd because I didn't watch those moments, some of those moments today. I, I think I looked away. I'm fairly sure I looked away when I watched them in 1999 as well. But I still remember them, yeah. uh, which, is, which is striking as well. So I think there's definitely an argument for it there. And I think... Andrew's right, it is arguably more timely now than it was then. A lot of it has aged in ways that are interesting. A lot of its insights are still relevant, I think, to a certain extent. I think there's an uncomfortable element there that is not always entirely, you know, it's, it's not worked out. And I think while that for me would be an issue with putting it in the proper 250 for my own 250, I think allowing me to unpack it, I think it's perfectly valid to have it there, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, because... That, 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 a, a movie doesn't always have to kind of 
provide yeah. all the answers. That's it exactly. Yeah. And it and it, and and it can feel very kind of um didactic kind of yeah. when it when it when it does. Or tries, yeah. Um, well, I mean to be fair, we should be entirely clear like this is not a right. subtle movie. It is not uh, you know. No, no, but it it probably it if it were to if it were to to make um, to more of kind of yeah. um of a message than it did, it would it would be yeah. Um, probably the lesser for it. I think it's rich enough to get away with it too. Like, there's a lot going on that you can like. I think that it it we won't get into how it ends, but like how it ends, it doesn't wrap everything up nicely in a yeah. bow at all, and like it leaves no. you with a lot of like questions. But I think there's a there's a lot in the film that you can walk away with and answer those questions yourself, or like think about those questions and yeah. bring a lot to it, yeah. which is which makes it really interesting to talk about twenty years later. All right, and then the final question, actually. Um, if listeners have not seen American History X, would you recommend that they go out, pause the podcast, and watch it? Yeah. Yeah, and it's if it's Saturday uh, morning and you're wondering, like, should you watch some cartoons? Have you seen a great um, ad for Cheerios? <laughs> and want to have your bowl of Cheerios and watch the cartoons? Don't. <laughs> Watch American History yeah, X instead. With a bowl yeah. of rashes and sausages. <laughs> yeah. It is, yeah, well, okay. To be fair, it's a perfect Saturday morning for American History X as we're recording. Yes, it's, it's raining. It's quite grey. Yeah. It's very grey. Um, and yeah, I would recommend it. Uh, uh, we had some issues technically watching it. Every time I tried to access it... This was on the a, Darren Mooney cut. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It involves a lot more punning. Um, but no, the... Every time we tried to watch it, we tried multiple different services. And it's great because every single one of those services reminded me before I wanted to watch it, viewer discretion is advised. This may not be suitable for all viewers, which is something that I don't think I've seen any of those services ask me before. Yeah. 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 Um, so, you know, I mean, it is a bit of a tough watch. So yeah. it's uh, maybe one to kind of build yourself up for a little bit, I think. And it was like, are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> <Afterwards>. <laughs> when it finishes. We interrupted yeah. this just to see if you were all right. <laughs> yeah. And you still want to continue watching this film. <laughs> yeah. Um, perfect. All right, then we'll jump into the spoiler zone. Spoiler zone. So, Shani... What is American History X about for you? I've assigned you an essay. I wanted you on my desk for that all morning. Um, I think, so I wrote down at the very end that little line that Edward Furlong says, like, hate is baggage. And to me, that, that the film is just all about that. It's about, like, what you bring with you and how that affects every single person around you. And Derek is a really interesting character in that regard. But also, I think the film does a really clever thing which is very late in the game, going back and showing his dad. Yeah. And yeah. I think that, you know, I think that the way the story is structured, it's all about, for me anyway, I felt that it's all about showing you what hate can do. Even casual hate, like that dinner scene, that like the dad dinner scene, not the other one, which is quite yeah. uncasual it hate. It builds. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly, like, I mean, the, the scene with the dad builds, build. the, builds yeah. the N-word, which is quite surprising, because up until he, he says the N-word, a lot of what you get from that scene is fascinating because that's, I'm not a racist, but racism. Yeah. It's like, 
I've got nothing against minorities, people of different origins, but it's just like this affirmative action thing, it goes too far. Or, you know, I mean, they're getting jobs that, I mean, it should be the best person who's getting the job. I mean, not getting a leg up. That's that's a problem, you know? I mean, what about the... And even, like, it's, you get the same rhetoric that you see now in, like, the soft pushback against things like yeah, arguing so for the just inclusion. be a bit critical yeah, and that, kind of think, think, think about these bit. things yeah. yeah even things like when they're talking about the books that uh, sweeney has assigned mm-hmm. um from like and he's assigned james baldwin to pick an example and the dad's attitude and this is very similar to stuff that you will see online from people who are like i'm not a racist but where it's like well you're, you're making room for for these books but what about the great books you're pushing off what about what about the classics that deserve to be read and and you know and you see a lot of that in here. And I think that's very well observed, that yeah. aspect of it. And I, I do think it's really crucial where that placement is because I think lazily as a viewer, you're like, oh, well, his dad died and that has triggered something in him. But then very much late in the game, you actually see, well, no, this seed was planted a long time ago. And I think that really pushes the the structure of the film into something really great for me. I think it's very sophisticated. Mm. And I think that that scene... And I had kind of forgotten about that scene, to be honest. It's a long time since I'd seen the film. And when it happened, I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot that this is how this was structured. I think it's really clever. Really clever. I was looking through the credits and thinking, oh, somebody plays his his father. Yeah, Yeah. I'd forgotten completely. It's very, like, that's a crucial scene to me. But I think, I think that that scene is really what made me go, this is, this film is about, is about, like, the toxicity of hate. And even like vaguely subtle hate and how people talk and and I think all of the hate speeches and like they're all written so well yeah, yeah he is very full well. of charisma yeah. really like making like making very arguments, arguments and yeah, yeah and you're just kind of like this is brilliant and it's only like when the scene with Elliot Gould at the dinner that's what like you see him making one of these speeches and he's so charismatic and he's so good at delivery but he starts tripping himself up because he's a dickhead. Yeah. And, and then he starts just getting very like angry well, yeah. and yeah. I mean you you have the like the source of it kind you of. You have like the bit where he's, he's talking about like the riot being an irrational expression of rage, it's such a cop out, it's opportunism at its worst. It's people grabbing any excuse they can find to go and loot a store, nothing more. And, and it's like, calling things things that they're not. Yeah. But so uh, ca- calling um uh, calling crime uh, poverty and calling rioting uh, rage but and that's kind of a lot of the contemporary rhetoric is like oh just because you uh, relabel something doesn't doesn't make yeah. it yeah the the facts don't care about your feelings sort of all, yeah all yeah but I mean even in the context of the film the reason why that scene works so well is that and then again this is the thing where like Andrew alluded to it with the basketball scene right the basketball scene Let's talk a little bit about the basketball scene of itself. Because the basketball scene is yeah. incredible um, in, in several different levels. The most obvious one is like the idea... It's a mythology. Yeah, yeah. it is. And it, it's fascinating in several different levels. I mean, first of all, there's the fact that Seth bets $100 that he doesn't have, which is a very Seth thing to do, apparently. Uh, but also like... I hate Seth. There's, there's, <laughs> there's the moment where like the logistics of it are kind of like... Again, you're not meant to think about the logistics of it. But, like, when that happens, Derek shows up and he's like, I want to join your game. That implies that, like, somebody has to leave the game for Derek to join. So I like to think that there's well, one guy who's like, well, okay. Hey, yeah. Probably probably uh, an, an African-American is, <laughs> is leaving. Because yeah. I would say there were probably more uh, 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 African-Americans playing than, 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 than white guys. Because yeah. then they changed the teams that's, as well. That's it, exactly. And I love that they changed Are the they, teams. Maybe and, they went and... from, like, uh, f- f- uh, uh, like 
it's probably all five versus five, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I love that. I love that. Like, and Derek's like, okay, we're going to play a new game and it's going to be blacks versus whites. And I love the idea that like the previously to that, the teams have been somewhat mixed and there's yeah. a white guy who's playing with black guys. And he's like, I'm not really comfortable. With, yeah, I'm not really comfortable with how this direct the direction this game is taking. This sounds, oh yeah. yeah, I was winning. Yeah, yeah, because that's the issue. There. Um, that's it's like, a whole no, other movie. That's yeah. our guy. Um, no, we are losing. Yeah. But um, um, but I mean, even us even, whites. Yeah. If you join us whites, you see that we are losing and they are winning. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, even ignoring stuff like that, which is is interesting itself. You're, Andrew's right about that scene being shot triumphantly because you have the oh, yeah. music building it's shot in black and white you get the low angles yeah. on them and like you get the moment where he tears his shirt off yeah. and like I mean you know the it's... swastika's right there but like I'm I'm a heterosexual man and I'm comfortable enough in my sexuality to say that's some that's some prime Edward Norton right there that's it like some prime Edward that is some prime Edward Norton there it's a very and again it's a very masculine ideal he's kind of lean he's got muscles and it's it's shot in a way that's very kind of like sexual and aggressive and like it it's, idolizes him. Yeah, yeah. It's, and again, when it's they, like when he's you're watching a, a, a like a really good movie for neo Nazis at that like point in, almost, in, yeah. in that scene. Yeah, yeah. Which is the it, like incredible thing that the that the movie does. Yeah, because it would be so much kind of easier and less kind of uh, challenging. To kind of is, is portray set up them all, as cartoon villains. All, yeah, yeah. For all of the time, for 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 you to um, think of them um, as just um, uh, monsters, which of yeah. course they are. Yeah. But to they what 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 it, what, it, what it, it's it's a it's a strange sort of a um, push and pull. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, even even after that, like, and and Charlene pointed out, the speeches are very moment. And the one that he gives before they loot the Korean store is very good rhetoric. And again, this is there. First of all, Norton's a very charismatic kind of delivery of that. And he pours himself into it and he delivers it with conviction. But the, the underpinning logic behind it is very emotive. And it's very similar to a lot of what you hear today, which is this idea of immigration, this idea of taking jobs and this idea of caring for themselves and stuff like that. But we hear a lot kind of, um, on the left as well uh, about people talking about the right and that the, um, that's why the, um, the alt-right exists because um, alt-right is no longer kind of conservative. It's coming from a position of of, of, of we've lost. Yeah. Like they're presenting yeah. themselves as a counterculture to a certain Yeah, extent. yeah, exactly. Um, that's and the thing. I mean, was it you were describing Kill All Normies was the, the book written by an Irish researcher. Uh, uh, was it Angela... Uh, Angela Nesbitt? Uh, Nangle? No, Nangle, sorry, apologies. Yeah, but she's or, written... Uh, apologies. Okay. Uh, but uh, we've read, I've read some interviews with her and they're kind of very interesting looking at that as well. But again, the rhetoric of it is all very, and again, it's it's kind of it's it's kind of it's soothing and it's emotive and it gets at all this like patriotism and idealism and the idea that we're just looking out before for before the own, supermarket before scene. the supermarket scene, which the supermarket scene is horrifying in itself. Oh, but that gets to, and then you see him at the dinner table, and you're right, the dinner table is the scene where it all falls apart mm-hmm. for multiple reasons. But one of the things that I really like about it is that you have Derek at the dinner table talking with this self righteous assuredness, talking about how you know like describing it as an irrational expression of rage is such a cop-out. It's people grabbing any excuse they can to go and loot a store right after you've seen him, like, fester an irrational expression of rage yeah. to go and loot a store. Yes. But th- that's the the real kind of structural kind of um, cleverness of oh, this yeah. movie. And, and they do it again with Avery Brooks talking about how he grew up like an angry young man. 
yeah. angry as um, the system at, at everybody, yeah, at white people, and at the white 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 people for and 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 there again they're drawing that kind of uh, parallel and this and this thing about finding um, uh, a, a way to blame other people. Yeah. Uh, and and this kind of we are we are we are not enemies we are friends i mean it's it's also worth noting and this is probably i think one of the things that charlene or i would have been alluding to and maybe charlene was alluding to missing from the film as well is that one of the interesting things that it does i'm not entirely sure it does it as well as it might have but one of the interesting things that the movie does is it implies that there is an identical story unfolding on the other side of the aisle with the family of the black kid that um that edward norton murders so like for example you see the basketball game and it's presented as this triumphant moment for ed norton's character you realize then that this is actually what leads to the attack attack on the car because that's a reprisal for that as well but you have this idea of the younger brother of the man that he killed trying to murder him or trying to kind of get back at him or kind of organizing sort of a retaliatory attack as well and you have this sort of kind of push and pull between them as well, which is interesting because it suggests that you have that similar sort of rage, feeling rage and young men on, on either side of the aisle. Well, that's what I think is interesting about it. And that I think is complicated is that it's not like it doesn't paint the black community as like perfect or victims. It's like there's a lot of going on here. There's a lot of going on with these awful neo-Nazis because everything's really complicated and relations are really complicated. Therefore, don't be just hating like you know but I think it's and I think that's something that would be difficult to get made today like I think that we probably I don't think that that would have been represented in the same way I don't think I think that would be what would be difficult to get across the line in a studio film is like that aspect of things it sounds too much like um uh uh bad guys on both sides yeah 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 there is that it's worth noting actually that um New Line Cinema, and again, like there's a lot of sense of people talk about like the studios being, you know, the studio system being horrible and chewing out artists. But Michael DeLuca, who is the former president of New a Production at New Line, apparently because Kay was not stepping up in certain respects and was actively kind of like causing trouble in other respects, DeLuca was very active in terms of trying to. I don't want to say protect the film because that sounds very cynical. But in terms of like he he reached out to several African-American directors, including like Mario Van Peebles and Rusty uh, Kundiff um, to talk about the, the screenplay. He, he sent them the screenplay to get their feedback on it and to make sure that they felt that there was nothing inappropriate in there as well. And they, they said that made them both uncomfortable. They felt that it was like for the story that it was telling, it was as good as it could possibly be, um, which is interesting as well. Um, and again, they did say that there's, you know, there's a challenge in terms of like creating a central character. And Kundai in particular talked about how when you create a powerful character and you make the film from the point of view of the character, you have to walk a real tightrope. This is the thing like Truffaut's, there's no such thing as an anti-war film that you're never going to mm-hmm. glorify. But even things like they worked with the um, Anti-Defamation League um, and Amnesty International in Los Angeles in terms of like getting them to show screenings of the films to workshop the film yeah. to like to consult on it and to make sure that what was in the film was not misrepresentative and was not unnecessarily glorifying of the the neo-nazi movement as well Norton for his part made a point to avoid doing and again this is one of the things where is it really good marketing spin because I can't imagine how you would sell like American History X on Jay Leno or Conan O'Brien um but uh for his part norton made a point to go on shows like charlie rose and larry king 
and to handle it like a more a higher brow sort well, of that like sounds yeah. more appropriate yeah to deal yeah. with a film like this as well so it, it is interesting in that sense the kind of push and pull between them and it's yeah. not worth noting He's like, how about you, Ed? Do you ever... Sorry, I'm trying to figure out who that was. It was supposed to be be Jay Leno. Um, But it's like... Have you ever? No. I, I'm imagining like the modern okay. media landscape where like Jimmy Kimmel will be doing the Edward Norton challenge. Where he, gets his, he gets his audience to shave their heads and grow goatees. And sort of like, it's like, wow, you did the Edward Norton challenge. Woo! Um, and we're raising money for cancer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, so we're doing like shave or die, but it's like Edward Norton themed is what we're pitching here. So yeah. Really funny, Jay. This, the, when I was doing research, the, the, I met a lot of neo-Nazis and I have a, some quite funny <laughs> Yeah. I actually have a yeah. slideshow. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, you run the risk of doing that thing that's very similar to like what the New York Times does, where the New York Times like opinion section has the God, it's really hard for neo Nazis to like get married in modern America, which is a very strange angle to take because you can tell it's like the human interest angle, yeah. but the white supremacist angle and trying to get them and getting them like horribly mixed up. Um and you can kind of imagine that going horribly, horribly wrong. Yeah. But I, I think that there's something sort of in that and how the film approaches that where it you can tell that they try and that they're they're making an effort and the film and it's worth noting Avery Brooks, uh this is one of his last screen credits actually. Brooks is famous for starring in uh, Spencer, um for hire, and also a man called Hawk, and he was the lead on Deep Space Nine, which is winding down at this time as well. Brooks has largely retired from acting, and in fact actually kind of retired from acting you know, around the time of Deep Space Nine as well. This and I think 15 Minutes are his last sort of feature film credits. Um, he's he's an, a prominent advocate for like young black men and for advocating for like the representation of black people in America. So having him on board um, is like, he rejects the label black, he prefers the label brown, that sort of thing. And he's talked about how when he was doing stuff like when he was making Deep Space Nine, he'd be very engaged with how his character was portrayed. Famously, the show was supposed to end with the character of Cisco disappearing forever. And he was like, look, I'm not playing another African-American man who abandons his kids. That's not a message I want to send. That's not something. And the, the all-white writing staff were like, now that you mention it, that's probably not a good ending. You're right. Uh, and kind of fixed it according to that. But uh, I feel like kind of having him involved, for example, is a, is yeah. a good illustration that they, they made some sort of effort in that regard as well. But I think what they do well, um, going back to the tightrope, is like that the party that they have in Cameron's house you can see how that feels like a fun, cool thing for teenagers to do. And they make a point of being like, you're not just, I think Edward Norton says, you're not just punks, you're um, like, you want to be part of something. And that's what Edward Norton was doing. And they did a good job of making that party look like wild crack kind of like and belonging as and well. yeah like, totally yeah young young people who are insecure in themselves and young men in particular who are insecure in themselves yeah like, nerdy guys who are like looking around and wouldn't fit in at a, at a regular party as well being like kind of hero worshipped and even things like you have his girlfriend played by Feruza Bulk oh she's uh, great <laughs> yeah. I literally just wrote Feruza and a love heart and then I coloured it in because I love her so much <laughs> um, but yeah um, who was in the craft as well yes. this time as well um, but yeah so she was um but yeah, so like she's talking about how, you know, you're a god. Why would you want to leave this? And you get this sense of like how alluring that is to people who are well, without it's, an insecure. It's funny. It's it's the, um, you see it in This Is England as well. Mm. Be- because like in this movie, all we see is the neo-Nazi skinhead movement. But that, that the that the um, skinhead sort of subculture started out with any, without 
any um as far as i'm aware without any connection to um, yeah no yeah really? i didn't know that and it, it was it was it was it was um and, as as i understand it that it was that it was it was kind of like a look it was uh it was uh, the kind of um kind of a lot of uh you know uh, ska music uh fred perry shirts doc martens like that sort of stuff in the uk and then de- developed kind of these kind of uh, racist connotations as time goes on and you see some of that in in kind of this is england but of course when it when it, i guess when it came over to america as a subculture there were um obviously like uh punk skinheads who rejected uh, uh I mean, racism well, are, like, are, um, who's, who keep in like, mind my knowledge of punk is is largely confined to green room um, but like Green Room is, is to a certain extent about that. But like the one of the incidents in Green, have you seen Green Room? No, no. One of the things in Green Room that, but this is a spoiler section. This is <laughs> so a, you, you a can spoiler say section for all movies. So Green Room famously cast Patrick Stewart as a skinhead. The party yeah. was born to play. But um, the issue is that uh, it's about a punk band that plays a neo-Nazi um, sort of environment, and they play Nazi punk off. Um, which yeah, understand you know, it. Well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, that Do you have the like the, the dead Kennedys, yeah. like California, yeah. Uber Alice. Yeah. Um, yeah, where they're talking about this kind of this dystopia where there's this um, fascist has has taken over as the uh, governor of California to 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 be like a, a, a some kind of like a Fuhrer. And it's this very kind of, uh, uh, like, as you kind of expect from Dead Kennedys, but very kind of sa- um, satirical and, I suppose, clear about where it stands. Yeah. So it, it, that, that, and those are kind of, um, uh, that's a that's a punk band. So it's, um, I guess the point I wanted to make was that tribalism is very um, appealing. Yeah. And like, we make fun of certain sorts of tribalisms because we're not a part of them. But I think... I think very few people are in in innocent of any uh, tribalism. Like you'll, you'll always be victim to to something or other. Because, for example, like I'm I'm quite tri- uh, uh, tribal in in small ways about being from Sligo, mm. um, and it, like I'm very pr- proud of it. And I'm always telling people about what a great place it is and all that sort of stuff. It is it is giving a sense of uh, belonging, especially to people who lack. Yeah, a um a, a sense of belonging. I think that's the the, the movie gets that across quite well. Yeah, yeah. it does I, that really well. And also, I think there's something in it about uh, Edward Furlong's character, Danny. Is it Danny? Yeah. yeah. Um, he'd rather believe in this than believe his brother's a monster. And there's a, there's a huge yeah. amount of that in it as yeah. well. Because like, he is horrified. Yeah, yeah. like that's yeah. the thing. Well, that he's, moment. He's, he tries to grab him and pull him off with their mother at one point, and he's pushed away, and you see the shot of him falling. Yeah, and you see his sister Davina, who's willing to turn her back on him, basically yeah. that. But he's not. Yeah, um, Danny's not. And it's it's easier to believe in this nonsense than it is to believe that your brother is an absolute monster. And it's pretty easy for his brother to switch him around once he gets back because really it was just oh, his yeah. brother. Yeah. You know, he's pretty much like, oh, I don't believe in this anymore. And, the, and Danny's like, oh, okay. Well, you make an excellent argument. Yeah. <laughs> I never thought of it like that. When um, Seth goes... Despite being apparently the best student in my class, <laughs> I had never really applied any critical thought to this. When, <laughs> when Seth turns up with the camcorder and he's like, oh, Daniel, oh, you uh, you got to see this uh, race that comes out of this young boy's mouth. He's one of the best we've ever seen. Come on, Daniel, give us some of that good stuff, and he's like, "Tell it, tell me what you think about blacks." It's like, well, some of them are okay, I guess. What the hell, Daniel? Come on! I'm supposed to be a 
start. <laughs> that like, and again, this is one of the things that is, I think, prescient in the film in a way that is that's actually like unambiguously like prescient and clever on the part of the film, and something that speaks to it and stands to it is the way in which it understands that um, like. There's this sense, and it's it's very vague, but it's definitely there, that, like, this movement is full of idiots like Seth. Yeah. Seth is your default neo-Nazi. He's the guy who goes to a basketball court, and again, I'm not, like... That's I, why Derek is so important. That's it, exactly, yeah. yeah. Like, I, I like, like, I like Ethan Suplee a lot, and I'm not, like, judging him based on his body type, but I'm just saying, if I were... If I were me, even, I would not make a hundred dollar bet that I could uh, you, win a game of basketball. You probably um, would without trying. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, Darren again, has physical <laughs> gifts that he just doesn't use because he's an indoor kid. <laughs> just I philosophically committed no, this idea. I'm really good at basketball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is much Should easier. This yeah, just one hand from the other end of the court. Do you know, um, actually, this is true because we, we go um, to the... Oh, um, yeah, it is, actually, it is actually true. Darren is actually the best of any of his friends at basketball. Anyway, <laughs> even I, would, who am apparently quite good at basketball, I've like, discovered, would not make that $100 bet. But like, it, it's Seth is, is an idiot and a moron. And, and you're right, the reason why... And again, this is why Cameron seizes on both Derek and Danny, is that they are both bright young kids. Yeah. Yeah. And Cameron, who's played by Stacey Keach, um, who is wonderfully creepy. Oh. Wonderfully creepy. But he understands, he like you can tell watching it, that he has an idea for, quote unquote, the future of the movement. Yeah. And he sees the future of the movement not belonging to morons like Seth, but to guys who are smart and who are like sort of good at rhetoric. Yeah. Um like, for example, uh, Edward Norton's character, Derek. And in fact, like, when Derek comes back to meet uh, Cameron, you know, he expects him to be... Seth is like, what have you done to your hair, man? you got to get rid of this crap. And Cameron's like, no, 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 you keep yeah, the hair. That's a brilliant because moment. That's, yeah, because yeah. that makes you look respectable, because that's not that's what we're doing. And yeah. it's like, we're. he literally says, we are doing... You should see what we're doing with the internet. Like, Have you seen this bright bar? Like, it's, <laughs> it's really interesting, because, like fast forward to now like it, it's really like if there was like if you look at the structure of Black Klansman right if you were yeah. just to take that structure and then just add some Pekka Woo from right now at the end of American History X you just have that like this Pekka Woo hell like Stacey Keach logs into Bright Park <laughs> <laughs> but it's everywhere and there, there are the Derek Vineyards out there and they are they do have that like gorgeous hair and they're just like well dressed people they're not like they don't look different to us yeah. you know and that that is scary because that the film is psychic in that way and that this is exactly what Cameron's plan is yeah. and it's exactly what has come to fruition. I mean, that that's the, that's the thing and I think that's the thing about the internet. People are talking about like the internet exposing the kind of the worst aspects of themselves in terms of like stuff like white supremacy and stuff like hatred and stuff like racism and stuff like that. That's not really what the internet did because that stuff always existed. It's it's yeah. more what Cameron sees in the internet, which is very precinct, very clever, which is this idea of people who were disconnected and isolated. So you have like 12 skinheads in Venice Beach, but you also have like 12 in a suburb in Chicago. And like in the past, they would have been like acting themselves in a disorganized fashion, easily broken up by the police. Most of them would have ended up in prison or whatever. Now what you have is you have them networking, connecting, sharing information, coordinating. Hey guys, who's got a basketball? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> like Derek would simply send a message to the WhatsApp group and it'd be like, okay, we can, we can have a game in the next... 36 hours. Um, that's, that's it. We're going to fly some guys in across the... Yeah. Um, but no, but like not being flippant, that's pretty much exactly what happened. And the film doesn't get enough sort of credit for that. 
Because, I mean, you know, again, and I don't want to be too, like, that clansman-esque and be like, well, where we are now, culturally. But in terms of one of the things that's been terrifying about the past couple of years, and there have been lots of things that have been terrifying, but is that, like, the return of things like white supremacy, the return in inverted commas, but the emergence of things the re-emergence of them into like the marketplace of ideas to a certain extent, or like to a center place in the marketplace of ideas or to something that is like a platform for a major party in a, in a major political system. Well, coming in and then sometimes going away. Yeah. Like you, you saw it with, um, what's his name? Milo. Um, yeah, not yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. But Way, I mean, he, he is not he, the movement of himself. He's just, no, no, yeah. but, but, but like there, there, there is a lot of kind of those people who come in and, um, then suddenly have like millions of followers and like book deals yeah. and that who then like kind of shoot themselves in the face. Yeah. But yeah. the issue is that there are enough of them happening so quickly that the entire thing still manages to hang around like a bad stench. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I, mean I, I think, I think uh, it takes, it's a kind of like first year of university sort of thing where they're like, oh, I, I, I read this book and it makes everything so simple. And then all of a sudden kind of they, um, they, they, the audience kind of goes away because you, you, you presumably become more sophisticated. Yeah. 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 But I mean, this, this is the thing is that like past couple of years, we've seen this thing where like with even the barest veneer of respectability, you have these ideas being marketable and saleable to a large portion of the electorate and a large number of people. Yeah. And it's just finessing. It's just a little bit of like, it is, you, you have the hair instead of being bald. You wear a suit and tie over your, you know, swastika yeah. tattoos or whatever. You present an air of respectability on there. And all of a sudden that stuff becomes respectable. Like, I mean, you see, I would argue that you see things and say that the main discourse of like the States or even the United Kingdom, but even say here, for example, where like, you know, Peter Casey's campaign for president, yeah. where he was right. able to get like, and he's not, he's not competent. He's not Derek. He is not Derek. He's, he's a little bit smarter than Seth. He, he stumbled into yeah, saying uh, uh, racist things. Like he accidentally wandered into it and was like, was wait like, a minute. Cool. Yeah. yeah. But what's that Gemma, what's her face? Gemma O'Doherty, for example. Yeah. But like, she's a hate mongerer. Yeah. Like that's that's kind of that, that. It's scary to see that seeping in. Like it really is actually yeah. terrifying. But none of them are as competent as Derek. No, like, Derek's really and, good. <laughs> and, and, but that's the thing that American history X gets and is terrifying. And I think is mm. age perhaps better than anything else is yes. the idea that if you find somebody who is smart and is smart enough but able to sell these ideas, because Derek is smart. Yeah. Um, but if he's so convinced and able to sell these ideas in a way that sounds sophisticated mm. and uses big words and sort of make mounts actual arguments that are philosophical, but also emotive yeah. um, and can find a way to resonate with the crowd, then these ideas kind of community will community focused yeah. as well, which I yeah. think is really interesting. It's just always like it's not about power. It's yeah. about like helping the community and yeah. give me your, your sick, your tired, your huddled masses. It's like, yeah, but Americans are sick and tired and huddled yeah. and that sort of stuff. Yeah. And it, um, uh, Derek is quite principled as well. You see that um, with the match point and the game point. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah but also in in like that's how the shower scene happens. Is, yes, is oh, because yeah. Yeah. Um, he realizes that these uh, neo Nazis in prison don't actually believe in anything because yeah. they're selling uh, drugs, drugs that, that the other that they've gotten in. from yeah. the yeah. kind of uh, the uh, Mexican or Hispanic yeah. gangs, yeah, and, and then they're selling them to, other, to um, other yeah white okay. guys. I mean, again, this is the thing where I kind of, and again, this is something where Sweeney Sweeney turns out to be very much on the money. Where Sweeney's because again, there's the moment at the start where you know 
where Danny's like, what are you going to, where, you know, the, the teacher wants to expel him. Yeah. Um, the history teacher wants to expel him. And he's like, you know, and Danny's like, what are you going to do? You're going to expel me. He's like, you wouldn't last a day on the streets. And one of the things I actually think is well observed about American History X is the idea that, um, that Derek is, as you pointed out, he thinks he's, the, and he probably is the smartest guy in a room, but he doesn't have the ability to read a room. He can't actually, like, without that protection, he can't really survive. He shows up in prison. He's counting on the protection of the Aryan Brotherhood. And he's so devoted to his, as you point out, principle and philosophical ideas that he's, like, sitting down talking about the head of the gang saying stuff like, somebody should say something to him, you know? <laughs> and, like, one of the other gang members like, you know, Mitch is the only reason you're not a corpse right now. He's like, you know what? I don't care. I can take care of myself. He shouldn't be doing it. I'm sick of it. There's a lot of hard talk here and no follow-up. And it's like, uh, he's, he's, yeah. I will follow up. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll tell you what you're going to get. <laughs> Good follow up. Yeah. Good follow up. But, uh, that's it. Like, he, he has no self awareness. Yeah, yeah. It's like the, all the gang are now like, oh, Derek's such a dose. Like, oh, we're going to do this like, Enough of this preaching crap. We're kind of sick. Like, the gang member literally says, just ease back on the preaching crap. Yeah. He's trying <laughs> <laughs> that's one way of describing their relationship but I love that yeah, Derek is like so committed to his neo-Nazism on a philosophical level yeah. that he's like you know I mean have you thought about like the socioeconomic conditions of drug usage in prison and they're like dude we just want to make some money we just like drugs <laughs> yeah. prison is hard yeah. get high yeah makes it a little bit easier yeah. um, and I kind of like that aspect of it as well because you have that sense of Derek and Danny and again this is that push and pull between them where like the, the organization needs people like Derek and Danny because you know they're good orators and they're smart and they're sophisticated and Sweeney points to both of them as among his, his best students yeah. the best students he ever produced but there's also a sense of them despite the fact that the, the organization movement presents a sense of belonging and allows them somewhere to focus their anger a sense that it's also so inherently you know sort of violent opportunistic crass and just non-philosophical it's, it's not actually it's not actually yeah. what Derek and Danny think that it is yeah. it's not actually something that's focused on helping communities it's not something that's focused on making the world better it's just a way of like enriching yourself or sort of like again elevating yourself or and, and it's an outlet for that anger yeah because yeah. like if it was just a set of kind of like principles and uh, parties to go to and people to hang out with without without wrecking like uh supermarkets yeah um i don't think it would fill that void yeah that's uh, the because acting they, out is part of it yeah, yeah. The, 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 the violence they have that way. anger yeah. um and somewhere to go and you have that wonderful piercing question from sweeney where he's like has anything you've done made your life better which is yeah. like that wonderful that's armor piercing great. question yeah uh, which is absolutely beautiful but it destroys him yeah like he yeah. breaks down crying. as opposed to kind of blaming yeah, yeah. that's it as, just like asking is what you're doing at all sort of constructive uh, which is kind of, yeah, it's, it is very clever and very well observed. And I do like that, yeah, that Derek is nowhere near as, as kind of smart as he thinks he is. Um, well, that's it. And Derek, I think something interesting about it that really popped out on this viewing is that Derek's a snob. And like when you see old Derek, like when his dad died or whatever, like they just live in this really nice house and, you know, they're middle class, blah, 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 yeah. upper middle class. And like stuff like how disgusted he is to be like compared to the KKK. And, and like he, make, he makes mention of them. Um, like about Seth and I know Seth's a dickhead but he like to his brother he says like he kills bugs for a living do you want to be like that guy and you're kind of like there is an element of kind of class snobbery to yeah. Derek yeah. as well that I just think is interesting because it it it's almost like he enjoys the intellectualization of this more than anything because he wants to just talk 
Like he likes talking because he likes the sound of his own voice. I think what it's representing in a very kind of a neat way is the feeling of kind of uh, middle white America of ha- of the kind of losing out yeah. or being the Entitled. losers of 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 globalization. Yeah, like where where kind of it's happened for them very kind of quickly or kind of mm. uh, drastically, where the father has died and like three or four years later. They're in like a like a, fl- a flea. Yeah, you talk about the of... entire apartment being the size of their former living room when yeah. he gets out of prison, for example. Yeah, where it, where and and like um, where that is kind of capturing this like um, broader mentality of we used to have jobs in this town. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, even even the argument his father makes. Prison, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> but even even the argument that his father makes about like the you know if you're making room for the new books on the shelf, do you have yeah. to get rid of some of the old ones? And this idea that like again. Are getting rid of the the good white um, uh, workers, uh, yeah. firemen. I'm no longer yeah. working with these two guys. These two guys don't have a job because of this thing. Yeah. The other and, guys were better, but yeah. they, yeah. And this idea of sort of resentment that simmers from it. This idea of there being only so much pie to go around, and the idea that if somebody else gets a larger slice, yours gets smaller, as opposed to looking on it as something of like a non-zero sum yeah. game where everybody well, it, can it, benefit. It is. Uh, it's not. It is a. Um, it's it's not quite a zero sum game. Some some of the kind of losses of uh, uh, some of the losers of kind of like trade and globalization. Yeah. That's been the the kind of problem. Is that is 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 that in America, America has become better off on aggregate. Yeah. From all of these kind of kind of. From say immigration, but from free trade, from globalization, yeah. from but access that, to but markets. that there's been winners and losers, yeah. and that the easiest people to point the finger at are the uh, people who've um, come mm. in um, as and, migrants and got and jobs, and the people who've gained as well, yeah, like, yeah. The minorities Ra- rather than like the top, like the people uh, who are skimming off the top of the card or whatever. Yeah, um, but I mean, and even even that though, there's there's this tension within communities, I think, in the states as well, where you have. There's this culture of, and again, this is something that's that's kind of broader, and it's it's very, you know, this is probably a very broad discussion for American History X podcast, but it, it fits with it very much. Where, like, in terms of, like, the winners and losers of globalization, where you have communities in the States doing things like coal mining, which is not necessarily a sustainable industry, yeah. but where you, you've done projects and you've had people reach out into those communities, and they've offered either social welfare handouts or upskilling and training to change jobs, and those communities have decided that they don't want those. They don't want welfare because they see it as a handout. Because culturally, again, there's this idea of what you do is, is work and work has value. And therefore, what you do has value. So, like, you shouldn't accept a handout, culturally speaking. Uh, but even things like, say, upskilling, because you that is your job. What you are is you are a coal miner. Yeah. That's your purpose. And, like, not wanting to have to learn how to use computers or something like that. Or wanting to learn how to use the information technology and stuff like that. And there is this push and pull. So that it's a bit broad. It is, some, it is of, bit some broad. of those um, uh, programs have been quite successful. Yeah, yeah, no, no, they have. But I mean, there is a, a bit broad. There was a bit of there was study going into. It's, it's not like they're 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 just conditioned. We did the study and tried to hand them um, computers, <laughs> and they would like kind of push them away and, <laughs> and, and reach for the coal. Yeah. The yeah. <laughs> that's not what I'm okay. But that's that's a bit of a generalization of my generalization if you will yeah. but no but I, I, they did find that again and you see that in terms of things like support for for kind of trump and stuff like that where the main thing is that he's opening up these coal mines yeah. or he's opening up even though those industries are not 
sustainable in the long term and even though you know ignoring the environmental impact and things like that even fiscally even if you bring in things like the trade tariffs and stuff like that they're not sustainable and they're not like financially viable and they're actively harming the environment mm -hmm. but like they want that as opposed to a handout yeah. they want that as opposed to like you know sort of diversification or kind of broadening out or kind of those programs as well now some of the programs have been successful but again there are studies that have shown well, there's not shown enough us. of them have have uh, um have taken place. Yeah, if if you're going to introduce these kind of um uh, economic kind of programs and policies, you have to kind of let all flowers bloom, and 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 find and find the ones that work. But the the the, the problem hasn't been programs that don't work. It's been um, not having any program in place and not caring about inequality. Which is, which I think is, has, 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 sorry, this is getting very, very <laughs> wait, wait, kind wait, of wait, off yeah. topic, but no, but that this is what kind of affects these communities on uh, both sides and um, everyone, well, not everyone, but people feeling kind of like disenfranchised and, yeah. and like they're not getting the opportunities that, um, that others are. And if you're, if I, I guess like if, 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 if you're an African-American, it's very easy. Uh, it's easier to, 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 to blame um, like a, a white run and led society that's preventing you from, and a lot of that is true. Like you can yeah. see that in kind of the statistics of kind of like. Um, Historically speaking, yeah. and like in terms of institutions and, and disenfranchisement. And, and, all and for uh, white communities uh, as, as well, feeling let down, but that they can point to kind of um, um, like migrants and um, uh, affirmative action and all yeah. of these sort yeah. of things. Rather, yeah. rather than saying kind of like, wh why, why, why wasn't there more done to stop this from happening? Yeah. And why weren't we protected and stuff like that? And again, this is the thing where you have like the weird situation with Brexit where... You have communities that actually have immigrants in them are more likely to be pro-immigration, ironically speaking. Mm. Communities with fewer immigrants in them are like to believe that immigration has a net negative effect on society. But also things like communities that are most drastically affected by austerity are more likely to vote for the government responsible for austerity as well, paradoxically, um, and in favor of the policies that support that, despite being affected by them directly and complaining about the lack of services. Mm -hmm. It's, as Andrew pointed out, it's a tendency to point a finger in a particular direction. It's yeah. that line from the end of the big short. Where is it uh, the character who's played by Steve Carell, you know, is asked what he thinks people will have learned from the 2008 crisis. And it's like, I don't think they'll have learned anything. I think that in another, and again, this was released in 2015. So mm -hmm. it's actually prescient by like one or two years. Yeah. But it's like, we'll be back to blaming poor people and immigrants. Um, that's yeah. where we'll be in 10 years from now. Yeah. And it was, it was a very sort of striking line there, I think, as well. Sorry. I wasn't going to say Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Um, in terms of things, and I'm, this is actually what I, I quite like, as we mentioned this, um, and we alluded to this earlier on, like stuff like the soundtrack being very traditional, it has this string and percussion sort of quality to it. And again, the percussion stuff is great because that's very patriotic and it kind of gets that mm -hmm. sense of unity, like it, drums of kind of war, but it kind of, the drums sort of have that sort of effect, that emotive effect where you have that sense of like pulsing going on behind scenes. I really like the strings and in particular, I really like the use of strings, um, like a very traditional sort of almost Bernard Herrmann's or like 60s style sort of thing happening in the flashback scenes yeah. in particular. Because the flashback scenes are shot um, primarily or entirely in black and white. Mm. Even to the point of like the morning of Derek getting out of prison. I thought that was very funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
morning. Yeah. <laughs> We're having like a black and white. That was nuts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was weird. A black and white tinted flashback to this morning. It's like, remember when Derek got out of prison yeah, like when, two hours ago? <laughs> oh, yeah. You realize, oh, yeah, he's only in prison for three years. And that was only three years ago. And he's talking about like, oh, parole is coming in. Uh, uh, coming up in four months and then he was like that was a difficult uh, those last six months I was a shadow (laughs) and it was like so this is in the past yeah where has the maths working black and white time I don't don't know his friend's name the the black guy that he befriends in prison oh Lamont Lamont I love that like Lamont was there when he got there and he's still there at the end and all he did was try to steal television and Derek Vineyard who literally smashed a man's head on a curb is out like and he's like well see ya thanks for everything I was just like I really, I really love that. Yeah, Derek. Derek's like you've taught me a lot of things about prejudice. I'm gonna to get to my chapter on institutional racism when, I, as soon as I leave. Um, and yeah, they, it would have, it would have been life if, um, if, uh, if Daniel had had testified because all they could find was, was the evidence, of the gun that he was holding that had shot the guy dead. Yeah, the blood all over his boots, boots. the dead corpse standing directly underneath him any swastika <laughs> smiling face yeah yeah, yeah no it's very that that's <laughs> hilarious um, i mean and again this is one of the things where the film does come in for credit or sorry for criticism and i'm not, i can't really refute it it's kind of like it's the sort of like the weird push and pull that exists within the film between and maybe this is what Kay was talking about where you have the push and pull between the really gritty uncomfortable like unconventional challenging stuff mm. and then the kind of weird sense that the almost Shawshank redemptionness of it, where he goes to prison, he is sexually assaulted by a bunch of white guys, and he befriends one black guy who yeah. tells really bad jokes, and that kind of pushes him away from racism. Well, there's also um, Sweeney. Sweeney. There is yeah. Sweeney, yeah. which is the most important. Who'd been kind of there um, throughout, or even from yeah. when he was a kid. Like, there's a sense that if it not for the father, Sweeney might have gotten through to him to a certain extent. Yeah. Well. yeah, and it's also him losing the um, faith in the in yeah because because yeah, the, the, the Cameron isn't there with him in in prison, yeah. and 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 he's becoming disenchanted with the. With the neo Nazis that are there, yeah. Um, it's worth noting, by the way, and I only picked up on the, this this time I watched it because obviously when the, this line occurs, you haven't yet hit the shower scene. But there's the moment when Cameron welcomes him into the office, and with a big smirking grin on his face, he says, "You don't have to watch your ass around here." Oh, yeah. And like <laughs> he probably heard. I was, yeah, yeah. I was about to, about to he say, definitely like, heard. Yeah, that, yeah. Your boy Derek's walking funny around the canteen these yeah. days. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like the fact that it's like crack a joke about it again like you get that sense of because that's like a a a a a thing that you might um joke about when somebody who's come back from prison (laughs) but but like again and it's it's one of those things that underscores just how deeply deeply unpleasant these people were even outside of things like the curb stomping and the race war basketball and the korean market looting (laughs) it's like derek he's our rising star but don't worry. Slag him off. I'm going to make fun <laughs> of the sexual assault just so he knows which way this hierarchy works. Yes. There, I, this, um, no, actually, I was going to say something. I'm not. <laughs> Never <laughs> mind. <laughs> now you put us in a bit of an awkward position. No, um, I, I, in, in, in school, um, it was a, a, a Protestant school with a lot of Catholic students and they would um, sometimes play 
uh, kind of half tongue in cheek um, uh, Catholics versus Protestants football games at lunchtime. Yeah, for the course. Andrew gets up, rips off his shirt, and he's wearing a giant crucifix. <laughs> no, I, 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 rosary I, beads. I, I, his t- no, I take off my shirt and I have like orange fake tan on. <laughs> and it's like that doesn't represent us. Um, what? Why did you put fake tan on your body? Yeah. <laughs> it's because I've been waiting put for on this my uh, bowler hat and a sash. And I say, see who this. This means you're not welcome. Yeah. Um, um, but in terms of like stuff like the the music and in particular like the black and white cinematography, it's worth noting actually that like black and white cinematography went through something of a revival phase around this time in like as a cultural mm-hmm. moment. And it's you can arguably trace it back to stuff like Schindler's List in 1993 where you famously shot in black and white with tinted color. But around the same time, so 98, 99, you had films like, for example, Life is Beautiful, which is heavily desaturated, um, ironically outside the, con- the concentration camp. Um, you have things like Pleasantville, which was which was the film at number one at the box is office when this was released. Pleasantville is not, I'm afraid. Okay. I really like Pleasantville. Oh, anyway, I'm sorry. Put that in instead. Yeah, we'll sort of swap this around. Um, we'll do a bonus entry on Pleasantville. Uh, we will not do a bonus entry on Pleasantville. Um, Prince of Egypt, which the cartoon, which goes monochromatic during the uh, the sequence where mm-hmm. the angel descends upon Egypt. Understandably, given the kind of context of that particular scene. Uh, but even yeah. things like uh, Little Voice as well is heavily desaturated as well and sort of has this kind of very grey colour yeah. scheme outside of the room. And it's kind of interesting in terms of how it's used here uh, in terms of presenting the myth of the past. And, yeah. and Andrew's right with the basketball game. And you have the strings, which are something like from a 1960s or 1940s film. But they present a sense of like literal black and whiteness, which is kind of the thing where, you know, if the movie weren't as forceful as it was and as brutal and uncompromising as it was in other aspects, I'd be like... That's a little bit pretentious. Yeah. I, I, you know, a little bit on the nose. You're being a yeah. little bit heavy handed. You're almost like, are you saying the past wasn't black and white, <laughs> Tony K? Huh? Uh, yeah. I get you. I get you. Um, but yeah. He has a tendency towards being pretentious, I think. <laughs> Just a little bit. But like, they're de- like, I do feel like one of the things that does bother me about the film is I do feel like it is a bit pretentious at times. And like overall, I have no problem with the monochrome and the strings where it, where it works. But I definitely think there's moments where I was just like, come on, like it was just a bit too much for me. And also the it, the, the times that spent in prison where we see him yeah. change. Yes. Like in theory, yes, I could go through that and go, well, yes, like there's you could argue that this could make him change and that's fine. I just don't think any of it really works as well as it should have. And that's where it falls down for me a bit. Is that like... Well, it feels like it feels like that bit of the movie is a rough sketch, which is very yeah. strange when... I, again, this is the thing because of the way the movie is structured. That is only like 20 minutes of the film. Yeah. Uh, whereas yeah. you've had like an hour and 45 minutes of like detailing everything else and immaculate details. Yeah. Like, well, I think and you're, you're trying to get like you said with the scene with his father earlier on. Like they, that's quite a short scene, but you're trying yeah. to get across like a very kind of important sort of uh, formative idea, yeah. kind yeah. of. Um, I think the the uh, prison scene is is longer and has more kind of beats to it and even like his his relationship with uh, with Lamont kind of um, uh, develops um, uh, I guess slowly enough yeah like it's not an entire movie I guess about 
um, a guy going to prison and and I just think it could have been like I think that scene with the dad is a is a good example of where the storytelling's really sophisticated. And, yeah. and I think the sequence in prison I think is unsophisticated yeah. and feels right. like where Lamont's yeah. like, Hey, you like women. I like yeah. women. Let's joke about women. And they literally like We've fall down races. laughing and it's hilarious. <laughs> and it's very cheesy moment and I mean, like, it's funny know, though I've not been in prison but I imagine that you've, like you've never been I've in never prison been in, as hard as hell as that is <laughs> but I imagine that even after a couple of years the idea of like talking about women having sex with women would not be so hilarious that it would be like you've solved my racism yeah um, oh I just don't think it works it's, I mean, it's like there's sort of a line, line from that I quite and again I feel like cracked is maybe a little bit too broad in its criticism here like I, I think that Andrew's right there's a lot more going on there yeah. the Sweeney stuff is very very good yes. but I do love the crack summary of American History X as and I quote a movie whose entire message of forgiveness and reconciliation and it's not its entire message but we'll go with it anyway hinges on the idea that a murderous skinhead can be redeemed because a black guy in prison can be funny while watching the underwear of rapists and child molesters um, which is yeah um, slightly unfair it is slightly unfair but I think <laughs> well, I think Guy Guy, uh, Guy Tari who I don't think has, has been in practically anything else he's played a convict in three roles <laughs> which, which 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 kind of maybe says something about um, where kind of um, um, America is with 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 race relations with, yeah, and casting yeah. actors but um, um, yeah I, I, I like I, to imagine there's a I conversation with Ed Norton and him sitting down and he's like come on tell me what was the last part you played um, like, <laughs> yeah. you played a guy who shot a cop right come yeah. on tell me about that like, no 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 <laughs> I played a convict three times <laughs> So yeah, no, I I I um I thought I thought that I thought that performance was decent. Yes, it was a little hokey, but maybe if the joke was funny, I, I no no <laughs> I, I I I think it 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 felt kind of um uh believable, and and I think the point as well is um can be that he Derek's. Derek's baggage that he um brought around with him was the real um heavy stuff. The the beliefs that he had kind of taken on in order to um accommodate and deal with that baggage is the shallow stuff. Yeah. So it I don't think it's that um kind of out there to believe that 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 this kind of uh, uh friendship um could have changed that. The thing the thing that's probably the 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 unexpected thing about it is that Lamont puts himself out there to kind of offer that friendship uh to him In the first and person. to look out for him yeah. the way the way the way that he does. And that Derek's response is bye, see you in like six years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. Um, yeah. Maybe three years. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of the point of the film is actually like it was really easy to de-radicalize yeah. him. Yeah. yeah. But I, I still think that section doesn't do it well. But I do think that's the point. I definitely don't... Th- but you're vulnerable in both directions. Well, that's that's the moment yeah. with like the, the conversation between Sweeney and the history teacher at the start of the film is where Sweeney's like, I'm not going to write off this kid immediately. Yeah. And it's the belief that you can actually reach somebody and it is possible to yeah. change somebody's mind on these. And I mean, it is worth noting that these organizations in the States are very important. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of um, organizations about reformed uh, white supremacists who are reaching out to people and trying to sort of de-radicalize young men, which is, is very important. And they actually have very good, very high success rates um, yeah. where they are funded and supported. Well, that kind of goes back a little bit to what you were saying earlier about like, 
just being part of something and like even the idea of like you know sometimes when you're a teenager you're an emo and you're mad into like listening to my chemical romance and wearing black and then three years later you've just grown out of that yeah but like the problem is with radicalization in this way is that like you sometimes don't get a chance to because you're in too deep or whatever yeah. but once like, you're in prison once you're tattooed you're marked once you have a rec- it, yeah. once set has a recording of you on tape yeah, saying yeah, exactly, yeah. saying that sort of yeah. stuff i mean like you You'll feel never like get married. you'll probably get your harvard admission sort of revoked yeah. um, and it's like no 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 he said some of them were all right he guessed <laughs> yeah. Play it's, the full tape. <laughs> it's like, yeah, like in your teens, you might have like a friend of yours who, who likes Nickelback and you just kind of, you know, have a word with them and ex- ex- explain. I'm not entirely sure, but... Uh... No, that, 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 it's not quite the same thing. It's not exactly the same thing, but it's I appreciate... Yeah, nearly, yeah. nearly the same thing. Uh, we had very sheltered childhoods. Um, <laughs> Nickelback was this, our... This is my um, supremacy, uh, apparently. <laughs> this is how we relate to questions like this. Um, in terms of, of other stuff going on there, the ending, actually. It's probably worth talking about the ending. Mm. Um, because... And this is interesting because when I rewatched it, I had... You, I think you guys alluded to forgetting some aspects of the ending. Did you remember that it was Danny who got shot? Oh yeah, I remember. yeah. Okay, because I, I etched in my soul. Okay, <laughs> I, I kind of I'd forgotten. I I remembered it being Derek who got shot, or I assumed it was going to be Derek. I thought it was going to be Derek. That's the way. Yeah, shot, very yeah. Much. I thought it was Christopher Walken who gets shot at the end. Because <laughs> 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 I watched those three movies together. Yeah, Digi Mao, Digi Mao. Very different movie. Very different movie. But um, no, and I mean, and I kind of I like that. I think maybe that undercuts some of the kind of sacredness of the film to a certain extent is the fact that it doesn't go full. Danny is redeemed. It's yeah. like no, the the no, cycle. It's all a big waste of everyone's time. Like, it's, it's just like I don't mean that. I mean actually, like it's just like what a waste. And you see Edward Norton's character, Derek, like just. The holding it and he's just like oh, like oh it's really powerful and what i like and i didn't want uh, we kind of started talking about this in before the spoiler zone uh or in the spot whatever anyway uh, earlier <laughs> pre-spoiler but, um, zone. <laughs> zone um but i think just what's in the really, zone. yeah <laughs> exactly um what i think is really interesting is that they they bring in this subplot that's quite boring about like oh you're gonna have to like face your gang again and i was a bit like oh this is a bit oh, whatever like and then you're kind of waiting for this payoff where he has to confront his gang, but it all gets stopped in its tracks. Yeah. Because his brother dies. Yeah. And that's it. Nothing else really matters now. It, and I think that's really surprising ending and a really interesting ending. And like, it feels a bit like, and this I kind of was alluding to it, but didn't want to spoil anything. But like, I think it's, it's nice to have that like lack of a wrap up. It's almost like an interruption. It's like this incident is a disruption that's been really cleverly foreshadowed all the way through but like there is that kind of instead of giving us the ending that we want and that we deserve and that Derek Vineyard yeah and that Derek Vineyard needs to be fully uh, redeemed we don't get it what we get is this awful piece that's happened and you're just gutted from it and Derek I don't think he's going to give anything else now that's it like and that's a super powerful ending to me and you get that wonderful juxtaposition of the opening shot of venice beach in black and white where everything seems clear yeah and, and literal and sort of like you got the contrast between the two and the closing shot of venice beach you know sort of with the the color and the saturation yeah. and it's like orange but you almost think like about right. the push westward 
Thank you, Andrew, um, for bringing us to... Darren talks about Manifest Destiny. <laughs> but no, no, I mean, it, it is Venice Beach. It is it is the western coast of America. It is where the American dream has gone to die. It is where... Yeah, thank you. I'm You're giving welcome. you all the good stuff You're there. Welcome. But no, no, it, it is the end. It's it's where you meet the unyielding Pacific. It's where, the you know, sort of there is no further expansion. It's where the American dream has gone button. to die. And it just... <laughs> Darren, Darren, I'm not even playing. here. I've actually just gone and I've gone to grab a bottle of LucasAid. I've just left this, like... I'm, I've looped in a recording from an earlier episode play in this thought as well I do think that is there though I, I didn't want to I think your I, next book should be about Venice Beach <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Merchant of Venice Beach um, it'll be an adaptation of the Shakespeare play um, in terms of other stuff actually to, and this is interesting because it's a 250 trope but we very rarely get to tie it back to the theme of the movie so I'm very very happy to talk about inappropriate smoking in this movie oh yeah because I actually really like inappropriate smoking because it's, it's a it's a metaphor and again this is one of the things where it's like Movie, are you being a little bit too cute? You might be being a little bit too cute, but you get a pass. I'm like, Sweeney, I'll read it with an open mind. You just bring me in that paper and I'll give it a, a fair read. But it's like you have this idea of smoking that happens throughout where you have like the mother who's like talking about and she's wondering like what she did to like have two sons turn out like Derek and Danny. And you have like this metaphor of her having passed on smoking to Danny because Danny's mm. constantly smoking and you have even at one point where she's like suffering from it, it you know is it emphysema is it lung cancer is it just a bad cough he's telling but, her he, he, Derek is telling Daniel to yeah, stop to stop because you know and, and so he's not blowing smoke in her face but even things where Danny is telling her to stop when she has the kid but he takes a cigarette out of her mouth <laughs> takes a puff of it on himself yeah. before sort of extinguishing it as well but even outside that though it's a nice visual metaphor and it sets up this idea and again, this is the thing where I'm like, movie, how cute are you being here? I get that his father... I see you, movie. I, I see what you're doing there. His father was a fireman. <laughs> and there's smoke in the household. Eh, it's all in the atmosphere. I see what you're doing. <laughs> but it's like the idea that these things are sort of passed down. And yeah. you, you mentioned the idea of foreshadowing the death of Danny, for example, by having these little inserts of the kind of the, you know, the African-American kids who are like, is that the kid? Is that the kid there? Is he the one you're talking about? Driving by the house and looking at it. But even things like the smoking sets up this idea that like what Derek and Danny have learned is not necessarily something that came from outside the household. Yes. It's not necessarily something that is external. It's not something yeah. that that's manifesting itself. It isn't a result of people like Cameron, as much as like Cameron is like stoking. And it is very clear, like Cameron's like, so what did Sweeney think of that paper you wrote? Yeah. Huh? Uh-uh. But you have this idea that it was passed on, whether intentionally or otherwise, yeah. uh, by their parents. Because you imagine that, you know, I mean, it's entirely possible that maybe Danny's Danny and Derek's father would be disappointed that their son was like getting swastika tattoos. He'd be like, what did I do to deserve yeah, this? Yeah. I mean, I'm not a racist. Yeah. All I do is say the N-word occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, damn it. If it wasn't for that affirmative action, I'd be able to like <laughs> afford to pay for his legal defense. Um, but you have things like that and you have the mother as well. The idea that like mm -hmm. the kids have learned smoking yeah. from her and the idea that it's something that damages the family household because it's, it's just all there. casting, by the way. Yes, uh, Beverly D'Angelo. Beverly yes. D'Angelo and Jennifer Lean are yes. quite a convincing mother and daughter. daughter. Um, Jennifer Lean, who has a very sad story, actually. Um, she she does. Um, she, she was on Star Trek Voyager for a couple of years yes, and then was yeah. fired to make room for uh, Jerry Ryan. 
um, who was the sex symbol on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, Ryan caused no shortage of, um, and not Ryan's fault, to be absolutely clear, no shortage of attention on the set with Kate Mulgrew, who was like, um, I am the leading woman. I was told that there would be no objectification of women. And it's like this woman in a cat suit who is six feet tall and it's perfectly molded to her body. And Kate Mulgrew's like, wait a minute, this isn't what I signed up for. People were very into uh, uh, Jennifer Lean's character as well. Because they both represented like uh, uh, fully fully grown children. Yes, there's this weird thing that goes through Voyager where you have women who are... (laughs) I don't, know. I don't a, know where this is going. There's a bit of a tangent. There's that, two Star Trek actors in this film. Yes. There Avery, are. Yeah, Avery Brooks and Jennifer Lee. But Leanne was basically fired uh, to make room for, for um, Ryan. And uh, apparently she has had a very hard time of it since. Um, oh, she, but she's not really in anything else. No. She? Uh, she's she was good arrested in a couple of years American ago. History X, I thought. Yeah, she's very, very good here as well. Actually, like, women in this film, they're interesting. They're, uh, I mean, there's, I guess, three, right? Three yeah. main women and yeah. the little girl. She doesn't do much really. Um, She's adorable. Though. Yeah, she is. Adorable. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the moment where you get the humanism, where it's like, oh, look, Derek's tucking her into yeah. bed, and he's got a teddy bear. How bad can Derek? Be? I, I'm sure I don't know that bit in all the bits where he's cute with the little girl. Kate does note that uh, he was rather generous to his lead actor in his screen time, is how he notes of Norton as an editor. Um, yeah, no, I, can, I, can, I mean really you can't can can see that yeah. maybe there's some vanity in yeah. this like, yeah. um, well but, he, got, he got a best actor nomination for this yeah um, and lost to Roberto Benigni yeah well we'll be talking about that in a few weeks oh okay <laughs> I use up all of my English oh like in fair like anyway sorry I just I think Edward Norton should have won yes. and I thought that Roberto Benigni was very affecting and life is beautiful but like that's a performance for the ages like yes. I think he really deserved it but mm. And he edited himself just so he could get best actor. Didn't even win. What was the point? Yeah. Did I hear somewhere that um, actually he wasn't as physically impressive as they wanted him to to be, and that there was some kind of like uh, stretching on the oh on the footage? I did not. I didn't hear that. Interesting. No, I I had heard that. Actually, it is interesting. When I was watching that, um, I was. Do we need to go and get the freeze frame? where he looks like huge like yeah. really beefy like rugby player type you know like body but like other moments where he's like where he's still really big he just he's slimmer like the, I, I, it, the least strike. impressive avenger <laughs> <laughs> physically oh um, but if we'd only just kept edward norton as the hulk everything would be fine with all those but he, like that he, would be a fantastic he would like, have had all the fans of the avengers <laughs> going back and digging through his filmography he would have had to get an amazing body yeah. presumably even to <laughs> like, play like bruce banner who is like yeah. not not the actual avenger on the team it's like why because yeah it's it's why is he shredded it's like star lord why is star lord shredded um, it's like there is his power is he has rocket what cool it's people it's do yeah. <laughs> <That's pretty laughs> we have to have something <laughs> yeah that's most fair point <laughs> and i like that american history x gives you something <laughs> it's, like, I love the it's all very confusing you're just like oh put your shirt off my just cover that sorry thing. sorry we'll we'll put our shirts back on <laughs> yeah. sorry charlene <laughs> very distracting <laughs> i love the idea that derek's like derek's main objection to the kkk is that they make them wear robes and he's like i did not get shredded yeah. So that I can wear a robe, <laughs> those hicks. Um, He's very funny. Uh, but sorry, we were talking about the women before we got distracted. Uh, yeah, and I don't know what I don't really know if I have uh, an overall thing yet. But it was something that I was thinking about during it. Like I think uh, Davina 
is her name his sister yes. yeah yeah what am yeah. i named derek and so. daniel daniel and davina wow um, you, you, you think that american history x is yeah you think american <laughs> history x might be being a little bit uh just a little bit over egging the pudding slightly <laughs> um i i like she's great yeah. she's really cool i think she's a really interesting character and um, we really like we needed a character like her in there yeah the mother's quite passive like i'm I know that's like the point is probably that she's passive. I didn't feel like they gave her enough to do. And I really thought Beverly D'Angelo was really good. But the scene in the prison, I thought was so... I hated that scene when she comes in and speaks to him. And then she just ends it with like, you know, you don't think I'm here with you? I, I just I hate that scene. You're not the only one doing time. Yeah, I, I just... Sorry, I don't know why she like sounds like me being... to give her a moment. Yeah. And it, like it, to me, in, in the context of the film in its entirety, that felt like she needed to be given a moment and this is her moment and that's that. Yeah. And I wish they'd given we her don't a get Beverly D'Angelo without giving her a moment. Exactly. But what I did like was her moment at the dinner table with Elliot yes. Gould, and she's just like sadly trying to interject, and nobody yeah. gives Pekka her a voice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I, like, I love that even Elliot Gould. We're having Gould. a discussion. But on the on the flip side of that, I think that I see uh, Darren's worried. Look, he's like, "What am I going to bleep?" <laughs> <laughs> this time. Just use clown horns. Don't use the N-word, Darren. Yeah. <laughs> like every bad movie. word has been replaced with some like racial epithet. From the movie. Oh, I think I can get away with Peckerwood. Can I get away with Peckerwood? Uh, Maybe. Is Peckerwood too long? Uh, That's the concern here. <laughs> anyway. Um... um. And then there's Fruza Book. Yeah, she's a great character. I think she's so interesting and I feel like I need some time to unpack her properly. What's her name? Uh, Stacy. Uh, oh, uh, Stacy plays. Um, Stacy Keach plays. Uh, no, uh, no, no, that's, that's Cameron. Awesome. Uh, Cameron. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> is her name not Stacy? I'm sorry. Not sure. Anyway, I don't know. Whatever her name is. Darren is quickly um, visiting the facts. Okay. The fact, I'm visiting the facts. We have a fact. It is Stacy. Okay. Uh, which is confusing. Yeah. <laughs> Stacey Keach is in this. That must be um, a really awkward shoot when they're doing that one like, scene. It's Stacey? like, Stacey, I need you in your place. Hello? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and are you still in character? <laughs> <laughs> your decision to film this entire scene. Stacey's just lying in the... In the uh, Stacey Keach is lying in the bed naked. <laughs> I'm ready. Um, oh, I thought that was my nice scene. Yeah, yeah I thought it was on the call sheet. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's why he's that's why he's so angry and Charlie K is like hold on I think I can use this and Edward Norton says fine I'll take it out later yeah, <laughs> I'll be recording this entire time all Stacey Keach's nude scenes for taking um, I think Feruza Balk is so well cast in this because that character doesn't really get an awful lot to do mm. but Feruza Balk is so like weird in everything she does and how yeah. she reacts to things like she, like constantly when horrible things are happening she looks like she wants to like lick it all up she is yeah. just this is delicious and it's like she's just in this because this is it amuses cool. her yeah and like she likes the the fame and the glory and the kind of the vulgarity conflict, yeah. of it all yeah. like she loves it and like that's why would you leave this they think you're a god yeah like, but like, like there's something in the way she plays it they're like this is not in the script really this is all her giving us like her enjoy her eyes are widening all the time and she's loving all this and she's just attracted to all this and him because it's all just like a wild ride or something and i think that's really interesting and i think she brings a lot of that to the character because ed uh, uh, um 
uh, Edward Furlong's uh, version of like for his about a boss character. Oh, yeah. It's very wholesome. Oh, she's lovely. I'm like, why are you at this party, Lizzie? <laughs> Don't get involved. And yeah. I, I love the bit where like he, he goes to school and he gives her a little kiss and Ed Norton Derek is like, that's my boy. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to talk to him about that later, but that's my boy. <laughs> it's like, this is going to yes, generate some like, I felt bad for this. I don't care about Hitler. I like you. <laughs> I was only at the party yeah, to impress you. Yeah. The music is very loud. Yeah. Oh, she's adorable, and then you're like, oh god, they'll have such a lovely life. <laughs> Stay alive. <laughs> and it turns out she's not secretly an ass, like a secret. Oh yeah, no, she's just a lovely girl. Um, I love that we've chosen to, to we've, sorry, we've chosen we've chosen to write this sort of character from that perspective oh I wish we could have a sequel but we can't obviously he's dead but actually we haven't really talked about Edward R.I.P. Edward Furlong, Furlong. like he's, <laughs> yeah. he's absolutely I think he's great in this film I think he's phenomenally good in this film I mean he was for the time that he was acting in good things um, he was always really good uh, but I think in this film there's a lot going on with that character and he really nails it. And like, there was many, many times in that film that I was like, this is a bit cheesy, except these performances are knocking it out of the park. Yeah. And like, yeah. I do think this film is held together by amazing performances by a bunch of people. And Edward Furlong kind of has the, he's a little bit more like, it's just from his point of view. So he's not like getting all the big scenes, but he's so good. So sophisticated. I really like, I know we always talk about Edward Norton because he was the one, yeah, he's the, yeah. The one that gets the Oscar it suits the gravity and yeah. yeah. But you know, I just think there's there's a lot to discuss in Edward Furlong's kind of innocence and naivety and like the way he tries to put on a big face for Seth. Yeah. And he's got these intellectualized ideas of like, you know, OMTV and like Tabitha Sore and the Zionist and like this kind of like annoying bull that he's like just posturing and, and I think that's really well played because I like I I think you're you always know he doesn't really believe any of this. Uh, like Hillary Rodham Clinton was even then a hate figure and it's like who who will we run for, for president um, sorry yeah it's shut up Hillary Rodham Clinton yeah which again is if you want to talk about how 1999 is still with us know, in a very real bad, tangible sense Actually, you know, I remember this at the time. Um, not, I really don't want to start talking about Donald Trump, but like it was just. I remember the, an actual tweet that Donald Trump put out. And I can't remember what it, it exactly was, but he pretty much says exactly what Derek Vineyard says about they're laughing at our border policies, and he actually like he says laughing. Yeah. And mm. I remember at the time of that tweet being like, "That's, that's that definitely that, that happens yeah. in American <laughs> history X." And I remember noting that in my head, and then I forgot, and then watching it there, I was just like. This whole speech about them laughing at our yeah. border policies is like I've seen Twitter threads by the actual president of yeah, yeah. actual America saying these exact words. It's probably a joke account. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like you know that he, you know that like so Trump, Gulliver. You know, like, I can't. And again, this is this is a sign of how weird it is. And we'll be talking about the Matrix later in the summer, but how we're living in the Matrix, where the fact that the president of the United States seems to be drawing a large part of like his policy and public platform from like movie villains from like the nineties and two thousands, where he's quoting Bane from the Dark Knight Rises in yeah. his inaugural address, and he's like Derek Vineyard is like Derek Vineyard is chief speechwriter. 
Um, yeah, I mean, there is there is a sequel where Derek Vineyard could end up being just working for Donald Trump, being like, I'm just gonna do, do, troll back to my uh, my teen or whatever age he was supposed to be, and I'll just get a lot from this, and I'll write speeches for this guy, and I know who to appeal to because I know all these kids and how disenfranchised they are and why they feel the way they feel. That's very close to what Stephen Miller uh, is or does. Because Stephen Miller is a California kid as well. He would have grown up. I don't think he grew up in Los Angeles, but he grew up around California. He's talked about... What? To the people. (laughs) (laughs) But he's talked about a lot of the stuff that Derek talks about, about seeing that culture happening around the time, the 90s. And there's this big argument of how like modern Trumpism is descended from like that racial anxiety in California in the 90s as well. But with Miller, you had this thing of him being as a kid... Being a neo-Nazi or sorry, being like an extreme right-wing provocateur because it was provocative, because it was a way to get yeah, attention. Because the, yeah. the, the way... Um, Acting out, you know? Right-wing um, politics in California um, and the idea, therefore, that that, um, the that we get all, yeah. all over the world of, of the kind of right-wing in America is very sort of like, we're never going to win, but we're just kind of like... Um, uh, being uh, provocative, mm-hmm. like we we uh, want to kind of Irony like they they have they have no um illusion about ever kind of like um winning kind of like um control um over um do they uh, I mean like Calif- well uh, like the, the oh, specific ones that yeah. were yeah yeah in California um, but I mean so they 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 can like put out the most kind of um uh, out there trailer. sort of yeah I mean you say that as if like you go to Alabama and the kind of message that you're getting there is. No, but they could actually yeah, kind of win. Uh, win. So, they, and 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 there is at least an effort there to win to get uh, swing voters and yeah. that sort of thing. All right, is there anything else you want to talk about with American History X? Anything that we missed? Anything that we something have? that oh. you mentioned earlier really Uh-oh. struck me. But just that you said that you saw this when you were maybe twelve. Yes. And it struck me because um, this is not a plug for my cinema, but we were putting together a season of films that are all coming of age films. Yes. And I had this on my list. Did you? And then I took it out because I was like, I don't know. Okay, let's not. Uh, now, I had a very long list, yeah. but this was on my list. And when you said that you saw it at age 12, it just makes me think, like, who's this film for? Because it shouldn't is. 12-year-olds or 15-year-olds, maybe not 12, like, isn't it about that? Isn't it, a, isn't yeah. it for? It's about writing age? this essay. It's Danny, yeah. For, it's Danny. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, it, I'm pretty sure it was 18s when it came out, it which was, is yeah. fine. <laughs> I mean, like, the curb stomp. We haven't talked yeah. about the curb stomp because I don't think any of us want to talk about the curb stomp. But that's a scene that has stayed with me and is one of my... It stayed in everyone. Yeah. Like, I think that that is one of the most the, horrible even, things I can think of. Even just the sensation the of, of the, the teeth, teeth on, yeah. the on the curb. curb. Yeah. But even like things the, when Danny's writing about tactile. the SI, when Danny's writing the SI and he's talking about, like, the sound. And even though you don't necessarily hear the sound on the sound, soundtrack you see him writing about the sound and so it becomes more visceral and more yeah. sort of like tangible and it, it does haunt you and, and sort of stay with you so i yeah. i understand entirely why this is an 18s film yeah. um that said part of me wonders if it's down to some of the stuff that andrew described whereas like they cut out all the sex and all the really swear words you know like mm-hmm. not see, the racist ones but for the- ball states um edward norton's dick um Sorry, is that is it? You do in the shower scene. Yeah, that's the other part that you always look away from. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Do you just say hang on as if you're like rewinding? Charlene just rewinding in her head, like frame by frame. We go back and watch it again. Yeah. Understandably, I would argue. Andrew does not speak for the podcast on this point. Just to be clear, I think it's interesting because. 
yes, like you're not gonna like okay, you're 14 now. It's time to watch American History X. But like, it's sort of the best audience for it is that yeah. a, a young person and because it's kind of facile for someone who's like well, you you could argue like Derek's character in the movie is probably in his twenties <laughs> and and, and could do with with probably uh, watching see, American History yeah, X. but no, it's more it's more yeah the message of the movie I think is more um for um for somebody a bit mm. younger but they'll who, never get who, to see who would be kind of like it, they, they <laughs> impressionable i guess yeah. to, to but, the, but yeah that's what parents are for i would argue again like i i generally think that like you know the classification board does a reasonably good job particularly here in ireland and generally speaking i'm of a mind that if a parent has watched a film and thought it's a good idea for the, their kid, but it, like I mean, or a babysitter, or a babysitter, <laughs> but a babysitter like got got uh, really liked Mel Gibson, and would like watch um, all the like Lethal Weapon movies with me. Oh, that's, that's okay. kind of adorable. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, there's tits in those too. I feel like there's feel... something else than like what goes yeah. on with Bruce Buckley. Like, you weren't <laughs> in that bed at the start, but like as a studio film, you kind of think. Like, would they not at some point go, and I'm not saying that they should, but like... Can we get a... We don't need this sex scene to be as, like, violent as it is, or like as... I don't mean violent, but like, you know what I mean, like, uh, aesthetically violent. Um, It doesn't need to be that, but actually, if they cut out that sex scene, you'd probably comfortably watch it with a 15 or 16-year-old and have a good chat with them about it, but like, you couldn't couldn't put that scene in there. I mean, this is the thing where you're (laughs) looking for, like, you're looking for the airline version of this, basically. Yeah, but you could Uh, easily cut that out. Her noises, Jesus Christ, girl, like... I mean, that's, that's the thing. Is that, uh, one of the things that it's very, very inconsiderate. So Pekka Woo. It is within the fact that uh, you don't realise it at the top when the scene starts. The first time you see the scene and it plays to halfway mm. before you get to stuff like the curb stomping. You don't realise it at the time, but that's... Char- the- Charlene doesn't 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 represent me on this point. Faruza, like, if you want to be loud, you can. I agree. Ma's next door. I just had a big fucking yeah. row. Fair- and the kid, the Baby, in like, fairness, yeah, like, she is being a rude guest. That is she true. is, uh, like, yeah. but that, I mean, she, that's her. She very much Stacy t- does what Stacy wants. That's Stacy takes Derek up. It's very clear it why Stacy's taking Derek upstairs. It's yeah. like, and we uh, find out later in the movie that maybe, maybe all of that is in spite. Yes, that's spiteful sex. Spiteful yeah, sex. that's because that's true. Actually, good point. Well, uh, also, like, she really likes how he's been behaving at that dinner table, and she's practically licking her lips, like. So yeah, she might actually. Have it is. Worth, it is worth <laughs> noting that it is. It is light when Elliot Gould leaves the house, and then the sex scene takes place in the heat of darkness. So I like to imagine that the entire family has been listening to Stacey <laughs> and Derek. They seem to have sex and finish, and then it cuts away, and then goes yeah, back to them having sex again. Yeah. But she's on top of the time. Yeah, yeah. It's just kind of like, well, that was great. <laughs> anyway, let's do that again. <laughs> Um, but uh, and this is one of the things that I really really like about it is because you don't the first time you see that scene you don't realise that uh, his mother and sister and baby sister yeah. are in the house at that time because yeah. it's, it's just like you know it's it's Danny's in the house he sees the, the kind of the kids coming up and going to the car and he runs in and gets his brother he doesn't shout for his mother he doesn't shout for anything else and there's no sign of anybody else moving it's not until you see the scene play out later on where he's yeah. hiding in the you room you realise that's the same day as yeah. Well. yeah and that's it exactly and this is the thing that the film does very well I think I give it a sense of credit for is the sense of like the idea and it, it ties back into that stuff it does with the father with the scene with the father later on yeah. is it makes all of this stuff kind of contextual yes um, in that it makes it all like because you hear um, you hear it's Danny says I think about the events of that night all the time mm. 
And it initially seems like he's talking about the night where they had the fight with Elliot Gould at the dinner table, which was the night where Derek acts out and sort of like tries to shove meatloaf down his sister's throat and like physically assaults his mother and forces and food waste. Yes, Andrew, I know food waste. <laughs> yeah. um, I feel like it's maybe not the most constructive way to avoid food waste, but uh, <laughs> I, I feel like it's important to write that. But like you don't realize until the next cut that it's the same night because Derek yeah. has just said, I'll be out of this house in the morning. Yeah. Um, so there's no way that it could be any other night. Exactly. Um, very cleverly done, I think. It's very, very well done. But what it does is it creates this sense that it's not, for Derek, that sense of hatred and violence and acting out. Like he's killing those black guys and he is a racist and he hates black people. But it's also that sense of violence may also be coming from the place of the family argument earlier on. Yeah. And the fact that the hatred that he feels towards Elliot Gould is in part coming from, not just from the fact that he is Jewish and because of his racial hatred, but because he's a man coming in who may be replacing his father. Yeah. And, and all of this stuff, it isn't, like, none of it excuses any of it, any of the rest of it, and none of it exists independently. And you can't, and this is the thing where I like where it's kind of messy and it's kind of like ambiguous. And you can't necessarily separate any of that neatly and say that, you know, Derek's problem is entirely that he's a racist or that he read these this literature or that he fell under Cameron's yeah. spell. It's a combination of that and the anxieties of being a teenage boy and the family environment in which he's raised yeah. and any number of, of other... Like losing their status. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. 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 And it's all just a big, horrible mess that's like turned into something like really toxic yeah. and hateful and spiteful and violent. And all it takes is that spark of the basketball game earlier on, which sparks the whole thing because that prompts the retaliatory attack on the car, which happens the same night that he's had this argument with his family. So he grabs his gun and he kills the guys. Yeah. And all of this wouldn't have happened... You know, you can't say for certainty that it is, would have happened exactly the same way. for Seth? His stupid wager. It's all Seth's fault. <laughs> but I think that, that mess, uh, like I say mess in a good yeah. way, um, I think that mess is why you couldn't have any other ending because we can't, we don't really need for Derek to be like a hero. Yeah. We no. need for Derek to be punished in some way because he's he's monster. Yeah. And like he's learning that he was a monster and like all of this and that's all that is all part redemption. Not to the point where he's like, I will help the guy who helped me in prison. Yeah. No. Like, <laughs> no, but thank you for yeah. saying yeah. See you around. <laughs> it's because it, it's setting it up when he gets out of prison, he's talking to he's he's talking Sweeney to Dr. Sweeney and saying, Oh, don't worry, I'm going to sort all of that stuff out. Yeah. And he has this idea. That he's going to, um, that he's going to go along to Cameron, and it's all going to be very sort of neat, and none of it really <laughs> yeah. works out yeah. the way no. that he wanted it to. Because he's created a mess, yeah. and you don't get out of that mess, no. and like hate leads to nothing but mess. I love, I love the idea of Derek being like, "Can you say, give me like a form I can fill out?" And yeah. just like, <laughs> I'll settle up, I'll pay the dues for the next yeah. month, me and then I'm clear. He's yeah. like, "God damn it, stay away from my family." Oh gosh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you realize it made you uncomfortable? Hey, like we're we're I, we've got plenty of neo Nazis yeah. who want to join. We're we're not going to be bothering I you. Am, yeah, yeah, I actually I yeah. borrowed the the lawnmower from from your house. Can I drop it back next week? <laughs> be grand. Didn't realize. Didn't mean to step Sorry on any toes. That. Yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah, like I I do like that he has this notion of being a hero, and the film has a notion that he's a hero, yeah. but it doesn't quite follow through with that, which I think is very important yeah. because he doesn't get that redemption we don't get that mo and actually 
I don't think we really want that moment, but as you say, like we expect it. Yeah. And he doesn't get that fully. And like he's redeemed in that, like we know he's learned his lesson and he's been punished and like losing his brother is literally the worst thing that could possibly have happened to him. The worst punishment, mm. but like worse than him dying. Yeah. Um. So if it does that really well, it doesn't give us that moment where we get to go, oh, fine, he's grand now, I'm okay. I'm okay with Derek and what he used to be, you know, like you, yeah. you, it doesn't that, allow us that. The, sort of the closing credits where there's a picture of Derek as a middle-aged man working on the board of like, I don't know, <laughs> JP Morgan or something. It's like he really turned his life around. <laughs> he's now a white colour. He's now a villain. He's not a white supremacist. He's now a white colour. What a happy ending would be. I wonder where Derek Vineyard is now. <laughs> He's now facilitating rapacious <laughs> capitalism. Yeah. He's probably awful. I mean, he's a bit of a douchebag anyway. Insufferable, he's, yes. He is insufferable. Even when he comes back and he's trying to do good, you're still like, oh, stop talking down to people for five minutes. Yeah. Like, it's awful. He's like, do you not know this is all... Check a woo. Oh my God, how do you not know? You know, like... Part of me is like, douchebag. why does Seth put up with him? <laughs> Which is like a phenomenal one. He's so mean to Seth. Like, <laughs> well, Seth is awful. I know still. Seth is like the worst ever, but yeah. you're still like, Jesus, Seth. Yeah, like, have some self-respect. <laughs> yeah. I know you're trying to film your best friend's sister in a really oh. creepy manner. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah. And joking about how tight her ass is to her brother, but still have some self-esteem, Seth. Yes. Um, just did. Did you like the um, uh, use of American flag in it, or was that too kind of on the nose? Was it was? Um, you mean all was the Ali character yeah. kind of coming out yeah. onto the porch and the and flag the waving, flag yeah. kind of. Wave. Yeah, and even things like the use of red throughout, like the red blood that splattered from De- kind of Derek, which reminded me a lot. Of, sorry, from Danny onto Derek, which and Derek's white shirt, which reminded yeah. me a lot of the use of it in, say, the Hateful Eight, which has a closing scene, which again, where you have the blue quilt and like the the white snow, and you have like the red blood, and you have this yeah. idea of like creating a tapestry in the style of the American flag, and it being a a crip as well. Yeah. Um, uh, I think both times. Yeah. So uh, like uh, 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 blue um, gang colours, but like red blood on them. Yeah, and gives you that sort of sense of contrast as well, which is, and again, this is the thing where it's like... Of course it's in black and white, isn't it? Yeah. I see you, movie. (laughs) (laughs) You get a pass, but don't push it. Yeah. Um, And again, that's the thing is it's, it's like, despite the chaos that happened behind the scenes... It's remarkably well made and it holds up remarkably well. And again, we talk a lot about it misleading us. Um, and a lot of that's form as well. Things like the basketball game. But you yeah. point out, even the scene at the end where it's very clear, it looks like Derek's going to get shot. But it also looks like Derek is on the path to redemption. Yeah. And the way in which like it uses the cinematic language and even the score to kind of sell this idea to you yeah. um, is very clever and very well done. It kind of, there are moments when it looks and feels a little bit like a film like The Help, which we I know we, we've kicked a great deal on this podcast, but where it does look like it's going to be like, well, that white supremacist, luckily he got his life back together. Yeah. Um, and thank then rips it. <laughs> thank God. Yeah. Um, we and need then, more guys like him. Yeah. You know what, what are really... <laughs> more Derek Vineyards. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm really disappointed his mother's name wasn't Martha, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really enjoyed as well um, the end of the scene when they're taking um, all of the kind of um, uh, posters and flags and little uh, cards oh, yeah. off, off the, the wall, wall yeah. when they have an, an empty uh, wall. Like it was quite kind of on the nose, but it did make it, it, it seemed kind of like profound in, in its kind of small way of like now you've, you've, you've yeah you've taken away all of this kind of uh, meaning what are you, you now is the big now is the big challenge you have to make your life about something else so what do you than hate exactly 
yeah. which um, which I which I thought was really kind of um, thought provoking. People pictures of Lizzie up on the wall. That's yeah. Lizzie, <laughs> Lizzie unicorn Lizzie. picture. And he's like, um, uh, <laughs> Lizzie is like, I have a surprise for you. <laughs> And she comes and she has a little swastika on her forehead. It's like, oh no, Lizzie. Oh, I meant to tell you. Sorry. But I'm not into that anymore. <laughs> That's so last season. Thank you. I actually really like the scene where he comes out of the shower and tries to cover the swastika as well, which is yeah. a lovely little scene as well. Very good visual language. And again, ties back into that ambiguous poster image that we referred to at the start of the podcast yeah. as well. And very quickly, shout out to Christopher Masterson as the kid who gets bullied in the toilet. You may recognize him as Francis from Malcolm in the Middle. Um, he's the kid who gets bullied that uh, Iran stands up, that, uh, sorry, Danny stands up to in the toilet. Oh. At the start. At the start. Little nerdy kid. Little nerdy Curly kid. hair. Yeah. Oh, who's on the ground? Yeah. yeah. That's uh, Christopher Masterson, who's Francis from Malcolm in the Middle. Oh, wow. Yeah. Brother of Hyde from that 70s show, whatever yeah. his name is, Danny Masterson. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. A small, I did not know that. Yeah, they have the same hair. That's how you know. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah, they do. They do look yeah. a little. And particularly when you see they? them out of when you see them out of character, yes, as yeah. well. Yeah. You right. see them both in fedoras. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they look similar. So very similar <laughs> vibe. Yeah. yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Anything that we haven't discussed already? Oh yeah. How does how does Derek like the Celtics? They they're 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 having this conversation and um fair enough Lamont likes the uh, Lakers. They're both from LA. Derek likes the Boston Celtics, and fair enough uh Boston is a city famous for like the uh the for Irish being really racist. And whiteness and yeah. But 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 they're um they they hate all but 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 white Protestants. Surely, <laughs> surely, surely that would kind of prevent them from following Supporting the Celtics. The I mean, the, the thing about the Celtics is that the for white supremacists, the actual, uh, and again, this is the thing that's really icky, uh, the, the only thing that's really icky. But uh, one of the things that's really icky about white supremacy is that a lot of it is rooted in, say, Irish uh, identity and culture. So you have things like the Four Leaf Clover being a gang tattoo in prison for the the, the Aryan Brotherhood, I believe. Really? Yeah. And, and we're the, like uh, uh, Catholics. And we're mostly yeah. Catholics. Yeah, I, I think that kind of really got the Protestant thing. It just yeah. confuses me a bit because yeah, there is a lot of that. There is in in this movie as well. Like yeah. he, anyone who's not a white Protestant yeah. is how is how um and Danny describes it because it's like kind of nineteenth century racism. Yeah, where 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 they would have kind of like been against kind of um where it would have had a certain amount of nativism, but it's okay if you're German. Yeah, or 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 English or or somehow kind of. As long like as you're not an, Irish yeah. Um, yeah. or even like Dutch, I think. Well, no, the Dutch would have been there originally and stuff like that. Mm. But yeah, the, the Irish... Protestant. Would, yeah. yeah. But I mean, and things like the Celtic cross, for example, being a sort of a, a regular tattoo, a very prominent tattoo for the movement as well. Yeah. So I can kind of see that being a thing and the Celtics being sort of like a very, you know, sort of... Boston Irish kind Boston of Irish sort of thing. And so counting as, as white in inverted commas mm. for the purposes of this argument. But then right. And I suppose they had Larry Bird, like who was the, the big uh, kind of... Um, he w- would have probably stopped playing by that point, but was the kind of um, the famous uh, white basketball uh, player from, like, I guess around the same time as the. And the so Derek's team. idol. Yeah, yeah. Um, with that <laughs> yeah. wonderful slow motion. Dunk. everything he knows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <So lost. laughs> About basketball. Very specific subset of his beliefs. <laughs> Larry, it was Larry Bird, wasn't it? I'm asking Darren because he's the basketball guy. Uh, expert on the podcast. <laughs> How do you know I'm not a basketball guy? 
Is it? Have you seen Darren in the arcade with the multiple basketballs? Uh, yes, it is Larry Bird is the American basketball player, uh, an American former professional basketball player, former coach, Celtics. an executive. Um, yeah, he joined the Celtics 1978 through 1979. Oh, so he would have left a, a, a while. Yeah, okay. Um, oh, no, he was there until 1992, which... 1992, there we 1990, go. 1990, yeah. 1979 so makes, through 1992 is known as the Larry Bird era. So it makes sense, maybe, that... flying bird. Ah, 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 ah. Ah, Netflix reference for the kids. So maybe for the white, Soderberg, the white right. community to kind of follow uh, the the basketball the, the Celtics, sports, yeah. um, like a lot be, be, because of Larry Bird, or maybe his father kind of like being like, oh yeah, oh, yeah no, um, um, uh, Jordan isn't great. Um, uh, my, my, Affirmative my, action. You Magic know, like, Johnson yeah. isn't great. Dennis Rodman <laughs> is, uh, isn't great. Do you know who is great? Larry Bird. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not a racist. Um, but I'm, yeah, I'm just, well, Larry Bird's just yeah, saying, yeah. Coincidentally, Larry Bird happens to be the best player. Yeah. All the yeah. I can't think of anything that makes him distinct from aside from how good he is. See, I was That's naming both players, wasn't I? The, uh, Jordan would have been, and yeah, Johnson yeah, been yeah. And, this is what, presumably 1993 or so when they're anyway. Never mind. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, so aside from discussion of the NBA and the Larry Bird era, <laughs> is there anything else you want to discuss? Anything we haven't talked about already? I did. Yeah. I, I, I mean, uh, Stacy Keach was like, like very um, uh, creepy. creepy. Um, tends yeah. to be like Stacy Keach's way. He has that sort of like Michael Shannon quality where you wonder if Stacey Keach was wondering, why do I never get cast as the hero? Or I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've You're definitely very, seen Stacey Keach in other things and just gone like, you, you're from American History X. I hate you. <laughs> like, Waiting for Stacey Keach and have you got mail saying we're doing great things with the internet. <laughs> but he has that sort of like at the very same time as all of like his creepy kind of villainy in this movie. There's a sort of a folksy kind of avuncular yeah. kind of yeah. well, like, he's oh, at the basketball uh, court. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> like, exactly. I'm just hanging around, just uh Nothing inappropriate about me hanging around the basketball. Little teenagers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> cheering him on. And like, that's the thing where you get the triumphant woo where he's standing up yeah. and cheering. He's like, he's like race, coach. racist dad is proud. Um, I, I, I'm going to buy you all ice cream. I would, but it's going to be racist ice cream. I would have liked it. Only vanilla. <laughs> <laughs> if at the end of the movie, um, uh, or sorry, if at the end of his prison term, he had turned around to Lamont to give him an awkward fist bump. <laughs> Lamont had just been like, no. <laughs> I didn't want you murdered. <laughs> you are not cool. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah. so you're clear on this. <laughs> I didn't want you killed because I'm a decent person. It's, yeah. It's, well, does he know? Did Lamont it's like know shake, what he did? Shake my... <laughs> it's like he... He's like, yeah, because, just, yeah, just shake, me, shake, shake my hand. Do you think because I'm a, a, a black guy that you like to fist bump? That is that is, that is that is so that is so racist. How do you not read any of the books that Sweeney gave you? Yeah, um, I mean even I've read. Books He's read all that. the books that, that Sweeney gave him, and then he turns around to Lamont at the end. It's like give me some skin. <laughs> um, Sweeney sort of packages include Public Enemy and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. um, but yeah, um, so yeah, nothing else to discuss. Uh, nothing else to discuss. I did like the Big Brother, Little Brother stuff. You saw um, kind of like almost kind of uh, 
uh, footage of like uh, Derek and Daniel running mm. around. Oh yeah, and, on the beach and, and, and stuff. The beach. And it made, made made me think of kind at of the end it. of the American dream. <laughs> <laughs> As the frontier gives way to the <laughs> unyielding ocean. This is uh, uh, Darren's the new American advertisement <laughs> for be- beachfront uh, apartments. <laughs> like, manifest destiny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but like, yeah, no, it is adorable. Big brother, little brother stuff. I like, like I'm, I'm a little brother who has a big brother. Aww. You're a big brother who has a little brother. Yeah, yeah. So like. Um, I feel the need to clarify that American History X does not in any way reflect my relationship with my younger brother. <laughs> just in case there's any ambiguity. I love you, Kieran. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he saw... You're in jellies. He, saw, this he saw you <laughs> becoming, like, this uh, terrible nerd. And it's like... Um, <laughs> but actually the opposite reaction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, had the, he had the opposite reaction Kieran actually became Kieran reacted against my nerdiness exactly cool yeah 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 um, so um, but if, you had been, if you had been a neo-nazi though <laughs> Kieran would have turned into like an, 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 an ACLU lawyer yeah <laughs> um all right, so I think that about wraps it up. Uh, but before we go, uh, we typically ask our guests to recommend something for listeners that they've enjoyed. So if you've been listening to a podcast, watching a TV show, if there's a film out recently, or even an old film that you've rewatched, there's something you'd like to draw a listener's attention to that you think is worthy of their time. But to give you a little time to think about the trending, we're going to ask Andrew first. Sure, yeah. Um, another, On the spot. Another LA-based <laughs> uh, movie that I'd say a lot of people have seen, but la- yesterday evening when I was trying to see if I could watch um, American History X, um, it came up with Training Day instead. You did suggest it as a father-son watch, to be clear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Quality father-son time. <laughs> I, I, did, I, I, I did watch it with my dad. He didn't watch the entire thing. <laughs> like, is this only... Is, how long is this movie? <laughs> Let's only be over at one o'clock. Okay, I'm going. Yeah, yeah. But um, no, it's um, it's great. And it's ama- amazing. I think I had... I don't think I'd ever seen it from what? start to finish. Okay. But it's incredible how kind of uh, memorable it is and how kind of like uh, 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 quotable. Um, I, I wonder how much of it's kind and, of lost in, in hindsight. And I don't want to spoil it in case listeners haven't seen it, but... It was, at the time, Denzel Washington utterly unlike you had ever seen him before. Right. And I remember seeing... Before American Gangster. Before American Gangster. And I think he's done some stuff since then. Like, even The Magnificent Seven has elements of that. An equalizer. Sort of, yeah. Yeah. Sort of aspects it's of that. Or Man of, on Fire. Like, there's yeah. a darkness to it. Yeah. Man on Fire. Man on yeah. Fire. Like, I remember seeing this. And, like, there was a point where Denzel was very similar to, like, Tom Hanks. You can imagine the two of them as America's dads. And it's... Training day without getting too spoilery. It's his road the... to perdition. <laughs> That's one way of describing it, yes. Uh, but it takes him in, in a different direction. And I remember... King Kong being... is nothing <laughs> on him. <laughs> but I find it astounding. I remember being at the time shocked and like, it shook me to my core. Because I was like, Denzel! No! No! You're a wolf! <laughs> Everything I think I know is wrong. Ooh. <laughs> But yeah, um, so yeah, that, that's pretty great. I would, I would recommend it, that. It was like, it was like Denzel was this nice Tom Hanks uh, character that you trusted and he hands you a pipe <laughs> and, um, and puts a gun to your head and makes you smoke it. Yeah. yeah. And like, no, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
in terms of stuff that I would recommend, uh, a couple of things very quickly. Um, PCP. P- PCP is fantastic. <laughs> Tom Hanks says it's great. Um, Tom Hanks does not say it's great, um, to be absolutely clear. But in terms of LA stuff, and particularly LA stuff that relates to American History X, the American Crime Story OJ Simpson uh, season is on Netflix at the moment. I would wholeheartedly recommend it for people seeking it out. It deals with stuff like the OJ Simpson trial, obviously, but it gets into a lot of stuff around the politics and racial politics of Los Angeles in the 90s as well. So it kind of touches Bradley on, King. And... Uh, yeah, that sort of stuff as well. And Mark Furman and the Los Angeles PD and stuff like that as well. And the aftermath of the riots and, and everything like that. It's, it's one of my favorite pieces of television in the past couple of years. So I would wholeheartedly recommend that you kind of seek that out. And Charlene, actually. Um, seek me out. Also, well, that means yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, the American Crime Story, the one about the uh, Versace. Gianni Versace. Yeah. That's brilliant as well, and yeah. that's also on Netflix. So that's a good one. Um, in terms of stuff that I've been watching, I just started watching Stranger Things, uh, the new season, season three, season three, um, which is great fun so far. Um, but Barry. Barry. Is, oh, yes. Oh, so good. Like, is it? Is uh, this uh, HBO or Showtime? It's HBO, HBO, Bill Hader. Bill Hader. Yeah. I think I've, we've recommended this on the podcast before. We it's on it. uh, <laughs> so, No, no, everybody loves this. Is, yeah, is it, is it, if if you have Sky, you can watch it. On Sky Atlantic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm watching it on ITV. Uh, okay. It's so good. Have you watched all of the second season? Yes. The fifth episode. Oh, with, my God. With the Taekwondo. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, it's yeah. It's just crazy. Like, just yeah. like, I just love, it just takes a moment to just be weird. Yeah. I love that. It's one of my favorite half hour things this year, right up there with, say, the Bash Brother experience and stuff on Netflix. It's just something that I'm glad exists. Exactly, kind of, yeah. It's, it's and it's, um, I, not to compare the two, but they're kind of, they were, they're similar enough to me that they warrant an, a recommendation is Atlanta, which is also on yes. Sky. Um, and that also does that weird thing of just having weird episodes that like it's like about this guy who's going to the a barber shop for a haircut but his barber's just really incompetent and brings him around the world and like really annoying and like Atlanta does that great thing of just like there is a storyline but it'll give you half an hour where you're just hanging out with someone and nothing's yeah. really going on I mean there's a, a, does the exact same a opinions. half hour of television and it was a BET in the first season including like fake advertisements yeah yeah which is great as well yeah. like, um, it's really cool it's amazing yeah so, I mean, that's not something I've been watching recently, but um, in terms of stuff I've been watching recently, uh, last weekend, I watched Flowers in the Attic for the first time, the the old one from like the early 80s or whatever, because I read the book and the book was amazing. Has anyone ever seen or read no. Flowers in the Attic? It's something that like every child my age watched when they shouldn't have because they were too young. And, uh, and then it was just really kind of notorious amongst my peers and I never saw it, but I read the book and I was so taken aback and shocked by this like crazy that was happening in this book that I was like, children my age, like I mean, like when I was seven or eight, um, all watched this film. It's basically about this family who the father dies and the mother brings the children to live with the, their grandparents. And as she has, <laughs> her grandparents have disinherited her. So she's to wait for her father to die, but he can't know the children are there. So they're locked in the attic. For three years. Two little tiny children and two children who are becoming teenagers. A boy and a girl. Who oh. grow into puberty together. Oh. It's so... Peck a woo. But I would recommend <laughs> reading that book. Not watching the films. The films is really okay. a bit... A bit Peck a woo. But, um, but yeah, Flowers in the Attic, the book. If you want to like destroy your entire soul... Yeah. Read it. <laughs> but this is what middle-aged women were reading in the late 70s, early 80s. This is what... This was like... 
bitch. Now she's people will just listen to podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> and get that fixed. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. All right, so people want to hear more Charlene, a bit more Andrew online, where can they find you guys? Uh, you can find me on the Twitter at Charlene Hyden if you want to. <laughs> All the Twitters. Um, also on the Twitters at A Quinuka, which is A Q U I N N I U Q A. It doesn't come up much in conversation. A Quinuka. A Quinuka. <laughs> gotcha <laughs> but um you can follow me at Darren the character that is an underscore Mooney um you can also follow the podcast at After 250 we're available on Stitcher on SoundCloud and iTunes next week our uh, season of 1999 will be continuing we hope you'll join us take it easy bye 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 bye